SEC Media Days 2022 here at Radio Row, the College Football Hall of Fame, the site for the festivities. What a fun show we had for you yesterday, and we've got a great one lined up for you today. Coming up on the program, Bill Hancock, the executive director of the College Football Playoff, will be on the show. Ryan McGee of the SEC Network and ESPN will stop by. Laura Rutledge, also with ESPN. John McDade, the coordinator of officials in the Southeastern Conference, comes by to talk about the big rule changes that we learned of earlier this morning in the conference. Jim Nagy is the executive director of the Reese Senior Bowl. He's on our program today as well. So many things to discuss, big headlines and topics from across the league to get into on today's show. I'm JJ Jackson, joined by Tom Peavy, Ryan the Boy and Brooks Childress. And again, a shout out to our sports call duo back in Auburn. We've got Brant Daughtry and Cam Berry who are keeping us on the air and taking your phone calls. We'll try to take some phone calls today. If you would like to join us, 334-887-3401. JJ, Tom, Ryan, and Brooks here on set at the College Football Hall of Fame. Brooks, let's start with you. How's your day been? Uh, I appreciate that. Next question. (laughs) Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. (laughs) Your day has been great. Awesome. (laughs) My day has been good. Uh, If if you didn't get the reference, that is how that was the opening statement this afternoon from uh, Mike Leach when he took the stage at about 1 o'clock Eastern today. He walked up there. They said, let's introduce the head football coach of Mississippi State. He said, I appreciate that. Let's get to questions. And so he did not have an opening statement except for three words. So I've been good. It's been a busy day. We got up really early to get up here so that uh, we could hear from the director of officiating of the Southeastern Conference, John McDade, uh, when he spoke to the entirety of the media congregation. But... You're going to hear him later on today, yeah. um, right here on Sports Call. He's going to stop by us and give us a little bit of a more in-person breakdown of what he talked about this morning. So really looking forward to that. Um, want to shout out to a couple more Auburn Tigers got drafted today in the MLB draft. That continues to roll on. Carson Skipper, Hayden Mullins uh, being picked on day three of the Auburn Tigers or of the MLB draft. So that is, I think, up to seven Auburn Tigers have been drafted so far. Um, so... I know we're going to, like I said yesterday, we're going to get into a lot of college football talks. I wanted to get that out of the way. Shout out to those Auburn Tigers getting drafted. Can't wait to see what they do at the next level. Um, But overall, great day. Happy to be here at the College Football Hall of Fame and happy to continue to be uh, working SEC Media Days. Major League Baseball All-Star Game a little bit later tonight where several of your Atlanta Braves will be in action. Saw Ronald Acuna Jr. last night in the Home Run Derby. It was Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals who won the Home run derby last night tom how are you oh man i'm doing great uh it's been a good day here in atlanta and uh you know seeing a lot of people i I love having uh you know seeing marty seeing marty mcgee uh one of our guys that we just love having on the show uh i don't want to put a damper on everything he says more of good stuff however do got to mention sad news out of auburn of the passing of buddy davidson today uh at the age of 82 uh, Buddy was a, a, a fixture in Auburn athletics and with the football program, uh, known for 700 consecutive games attended starting back in 1957. Uh, his 700th consecutive game was in 2017, uh, Auburn against Ole Miss, and uh, Buddy passed away, unfortunately, today at the age of 82, a legend in Auburn. Uh, so sad to see him go. But, you know, like I said, we don't want to put a damper on it, but I have to mention 
you know, at least the sad news there. But a lot, of, doubt. a lot of good stuff going on here in Atlanta. It is a great day here in Atlanta. It's been Alabama Day. Nick Saban has been uh, at the podium. Four schools went through the Media Days festivities. Three schools yesterday, four schools today, four schools tomorrow, and then Auburn will be one of the three schools represented on Thursday at SEC Media Days today. Again, it was Nick Saban with Alabama, Clark Lee with Vanderbilt, Shane Beamer with South Carolina, and the aforementioned Mike Leach with Mississippi State. Not much of an opening remark. Went straight to questions. What are the opening remarks from Ryan Lavoie? How are you today, sir? Well, next question. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, uh, interesting point to make there that uh, you had Alabama the number one in the conference and then Vanderbilt the number 14 in the conference right. go back-to-back. So a little interesting seeding uh, right there. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, day two here we've kind of settled in and uh, we're, we're getting some good people lined up for the show. We'll have a really good show today and then – Obviously, this is one of two days with four teams, so a little bit more to do, yet everyone already done at the main stage pretty much and um, heard from some programs today. Uh, Of course, not Alabama, but some other programs today that are uh, scratching and clawing to improve in the league and uh, really you know, not the headliner teams necessarily. Uh, When you talk about South Carolina, Mississippi State, and, of course, Vanderbilt, those are three of the the bottom half teams in the league uh, from a tradition standpoint and a historical standpoint. So, um, you know, this – I I was hoping to hear um, some more – NIL stuff from those those teams than I did. I mean, certainly it was still a topic, but I wondered if since they are, you know, fighting a little harder uh, to stay relevant in the SEC, if they would have more of a, you know, looking up kind of attitude towards it. Uh, but that was not really what happened. So, um, yeah, I, I think um, I think today is um, interesting. I think everyone will like to hear. Uh, what John McDade had to say, and there is a rule change that we'll discuss, but I'd rather kind of let John tell that to everyone and explain it. But, but yeah, there's uh, there's still been a decent amount of stuff today for sure. No doubt about that. I mean, look, we've got a lot of things to get into, including those rule changes, and we will hear John McDade go more in-depth about that a little bit later in today's program. I'll throw aside another note of information here. Brooks just mentioned the draft is going on. Brody Moore was just selected in the 17th round of the draft by the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, eight Tigers. Again, there are 20 rounds in the Major League Baseball draft. 20 rounds, and in round number 17, Brody Moore, the Auburn shortstop, is off the board, a member of the St. Louis Cardinals organization. So congrats to Brody. It's an exciting moment for him and his family. His dad, Brandon, of course, had a professional baseball career and played for the Auburn Tigers, and now Brody joins the pro baseball ranks. Football. It's football season. That's what we're going to talk about as I send everyone back uh, with that remark there. Um, Again, it started with football. What am I saying? It started with it did start with football. In the beginning, <laughs> there was football. We're at the College of Hall of Fame. Let's tell the history of the sport. We can walk around. I don't know how far the, this reaches, but we can start walking that way and start reading stuff if you want. I'm not kidding. It's in this moment that directly in front of my line of sight, the COVID-19 pandemic 
is recognized at the College Football Hall of Fame in the year 2020. Have you guys noticed that before? Yeah, because I've also noticed that they've already got the timeline built out to 2032. So, like, they're, they're ready to add. Is there something written in 2025? That's a good Or is question. that just something that highlights 2013 to 2020? I bet that 2013 to 2020 is just highlighting maybe the college football playoff era. Yeah. Of, uh, okay, interesting. I would think so. Reason enough for you to come and, and see the College Football Hall of Fame to highlight the COVID-19 pandemic. <laughs> they also highlight the 1875 Harvard versus Yale game. <laughs> what a great matchup that likely was. Uh, uh, four I've heard to, it was great. A 4 to nothing win by Harvard. See, those Yale. scores were crazy back in the day. <laughs> there well, were 15. I'm reading off the. Please do. Continue. Uh, there were 15 players on a side. You had to cross the goal line for a chance to kick a one-point field goal. Uh, the game drew a big crowd for its day, and a year later, Princeton and Columbia joined Harvard and Yale to form the first college football association. Oh, I wonder what those meetings like were like. You know, maybe you should actually just go ahead and get the points for crossing <laughs> the goal line, you know, instead of like having to kick for one, you know? So, yeah. Four I like nothing, that. Four to nothing win. Memorable matchup, 1875. And then we're in rivalry corner again Harvard and uh, Yale, Auburn and Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, Army, Navy, Oklahoma, Texas, Cal, Stanford, Notre Dame, USC, and then Grambling and Southern. Big time matchups. Here in Rivalry Corner. Let's go ahead and, guys, let's do this. Let's take our first commercial break of today's show. It is a Tuesday edition of Sports Call. Let's go to break. We're back with more right after this. WTGZ Tiger 95.9. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back. It's Sports Call, WTGZ, Tiger 95.9 FM, and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson here with Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Brooks Childress. And, man, we're excited to be here at SEC Media Days Radio Row at the College Football Hall of Fame, day two moving along with tons of great guests and interviews coming your way, including Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff. We'll stop by to say hello to us. We'll chat with Ryan McGee from ESPN and the SEC Network. Laura Rutledge stops by. Jim Nagy will be on the program. And John McDade, the SEC coordinator of officials, will kind of give you an overview of uh, some of the discussion that was had earlier this morning. And then you will hear in depth directly from the source what what it looks like moving forward. For now, let's take your phone calls. All of our sports call callers and guests join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Auburn Bank has been your hometown bank for over 110 years. Visit them online at auburnbank.com for more information. Your partner, your neighbor, your friend, member FDIC, equal housing lender. As we go now to the phone lines, and joining us on the program is... Lord Dam Steve. Retired Ward Damp Steve is now joining us here on Sports Call today. Let's give it a go today. Steve, how are you? I'm doing fine. How's all your electronics? Uh, we're doing well. We hope that this communication works. All right. Well, um, this is the, the, I mean, I can't say enough about all of the uh, people that you had as guest interviews. Yeah, I listened to a podcast uh, today, and they were, I mean, they were all educational and outstanding, every one of them. Uh, I don't know how you guys got them on there, and then you did, I mean, just actually jobs the questions. I'm talking about 
uh, Alyssa Lang, Chris Dury. I loved his comments. Uh, Lynn Scarborough loved his stuff. And I'm going to cheat a little bit and let you know, I already listened to Miss Laura Rutledge, uh, your interview with her. <laughs> yeah. And we posted those a little bit early. Yeah. Also listened to Mr. John McDade. What I wish you guys would have asked him, and maybe just didn't come to you. Uh, maybe I, I misheard this, but is there is there still a three second rule that they had made uh, that went to effect last year? Which, if there's three seconds or less left in the first half or in the fourth quarter, then the game is over. That rule was uh, not mentioned in either the press conference uh, that he had early in the morning or obviously in our interview. So uh, if that was not brought up, then there is no change to that. So that's still in effect, right? Yes. Okay. And I heard you. I think it was you, Ron, that asked about the targeting, or maybe it was you, JJ. Uh, That was me. That was me. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting. So they're going to review uh, after the game. Uh, the targeting, if it was wrong, is that right? Yes. Um, it, it, so basically, in particular, the second half targetings, because they, of course, carry a first half suspension to the next game. And so that can be appealed, and that process would go to the national coordinator of officials, which is Steve Shaw. He was formerly the SEC coordinator of officials, and uh, he will make a judgment if that was a clear and obvious um, mistake to call targeting, and if it is, then there will not be a first-half suspension. Well, I like your thoughts on this, but you know, I just thought of a scenario. Uh, this, to me, may be a, an unfair, uh, to me, uh, rule waiting uh, to cause some damage. Because let's say they find out after the game uh, and there's an appeal of a wrongful uh, targeting call. Okay, but what if that? You know, and then they and they they corrected. Well, that's not help the team. They got that wrong targeting call, right? It could be on a very valuable uh, defensive player. It could be someone like Derek Hall. It could be someone like Owen Papo, who yeah. is very crucial to the game, right? Obviously, after the fact, it doesn't help for the half in which that player was disqualified, but it is a step in the right direction. It very much so is in that they would have that opportunity to correct themselves, and rather losing the player for two halves of football, it is just that one. And while it is unfortunate that, man, this shouldn't have been the call that was on the field, at least they'd be able to correct it, and you wouldn't miss the first half of the following game. Uh, and I almost had to laugh at the comment that he made at the very end, uh, talking about John McDade, about it's not the most physical, uh, he said, um, I guess, close to playing football as it can be by being an official. And I've seen these guys, some of them are pretty old, and they have to run up and down the field. So I kind of laugh at that. They do have to be in shape, don't they, guys? Yeah, and that's why I asked the question, like, what exactly is a fitness test that these officials are going to have to go? Some of them, they, they look jacked, right? They've been in the weight room. They've been lifting weights. But the sprinting is so important. The stamina is really critical as well. Agility, because you never know when a, a, a receiver is going to cross a route in the middle of the field, and you could be in harm's way. So uh, I thought it was interesting to hear kind of the fitness that takes place. Do you know if there's an age limit at which no longer they can qualify? I'm not sure. I, don't, I, w- I wouldn't think there would be one. I think you would just, you know, have to pass those fitness tests. And so I have a chance then. I think you do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, good one. Okay. Uh, moving on, guys. Uh, I really enjoyed Laura Brothers and uh, Jim Durant's take on uh, the Auburn team. Both 
And even Chris Durring said that they had some misgivings about uh, or different thoughts about uh, Coach Hart uh, initially. But uh, they changed. I think Chris Durring said he changed his mind. After he absolutely about, did, yeah. yeah. And what we appreciated about Chris Doring was just that he was in the same wide receiver room. He was the other wide receiver that started for the Florida Gators opposite Ike Hilliard, and uh, now we've got Ike Hilliard as our wide receiver coach. So uh, Chris Doring, although he did play for the Florida Gators, he's got a little bit of an extra tie uh, to Auburn this season, and it was very thoughtful of him to say that after getting a chance to chat with Coach Hartson, he was persuaded the other way. Well, I was really encouraged to hear him say the comments about Ike Hilliard because Ike Hilliard knows his stuff. And uh, hopefully we're going to see some people who actually run routes all the way to the completion rather than stopping, right? That's going to be important, no doubt. Because we've seen a lot of that. Uh, and then, guys, uh, refresh my memory because maybe I just misheard this. But uh, Lynn Scarborough uh, from Lindy Sports, yeah, I've forgotten he was an Auburn um, uh, graduate, but he said two comments, at least I thought I heard him say, that seemed to contradict each other. At the beginning, he said that he thought Auburn was a, was a better team than many people were predicting them to be, but then later on, he said in their uh, publication, Auburn's picked to be last. Did I remember that correctly? You heard all of that correctly. So, yeah, obviously, when Lindy's makes a prediction, it's what I appreciate about it is it's not just one person making this pick. Like, Phil Steele is making his picks based on numbers that he has put into a formula and that sort of thing. But with our good friend, um, Lynn Scarborough, it's a whole staff that's being put together to make those predictions. Well, wouldn't that contradiction lead? I was trying to reconcile. How can you say on one end that you think Auburn could be maybe is a better team than people are thinking they are, but then you pick them last? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Steve, we're going to have to let you go. We've got a guest coming up here live. The executive director of the college football playoff is about to join us here on the show. So uh, be sure to catch the rest of the show on the podcast. There you go. Good chat with you. War Eagle. All right, that's retired Wardam Steve joining us here on the show. And, again, we're moments away from chatting with Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff. And, uh, yeah, Brooks, and when he's talking about Lynn Scarborough yesterday on the program, look, they've got a full staff. It's not just one person that makes the pick, which I like. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, you, you've got – You kind of average it out. You've got different ways of doing things. You know, several magazines do it one way. Several magazines do it another way. Like you, you were saying, Phil Steele basically he, – he's Phil still's got a full staff that helps him out, but ultimately all those predictions are his own. The Lindys, the Athlon, they have a whole team that kind of puts together their their whole staffs together, and uh, they put they put it together and. Uh, yeah, so you can't really. It, it's it's more of a collective groupthink kind of uh, magazine that they put together at Lindy's and Athlon. Well, let's get set to welcome in Mr. Bill Hancock here, the executive director of the college football playoff, joining us here live from Radio Row here in Atlanta. Always a thrill when we get the chance to uh, catch up with him here on Radio Row at SEC Media Days. JJ Jackson, Brooks Childress, and Ryan Lavoy, and man, it's a, a yearly tradition at this point, Mr. Hancock that we get the chance to catch up with you, and it's always great. It is always great, and you would think, as as many times as we've done this, that I would know how to put on the headset, (laughs) but I don't. We got it on right now, though. Here we are. Here we are. How's the last year been for you? It's been great. I couldn't go to Media Day last year because I was in Tokyo for the Olympics. Wow. So I I missed, obviously, we all all missed the year before. 
and then I missed last year, so it's good to be back. Was that the first time that you've been to the Olympics? No, I'm so lucky. I get to work as a uh, on the USOC, now USOPC, staff during the Games. Uh, they it's don't have enough staff to do everything they need to do during the Games, and so they bring in people like me. And uh, uh, I also went to Beijing in February, and so that was my 15th Olympics. Wow. The Olympics are dog years. Yeah. You know? So 15 covers a lot of time. No yeah. kidding. L.A. 84 was my first one. None of you guys were born. That's no. right. No. That's right. Well, what we like, and being able to tie this back for our listening audience, which is so cool, you mentioned those Tokyo Olympics, but Auburn had their gymnast, Suni Salee. Suni Lee won the gold medal. Absolutely. And now she just started as a freshman. Her ability to be able to compete now as a Division One college now, gymnast. And, and, and be a college student. Yes. How, how cool is that? You guys ever heard of Mel Rosen? Does that name do anything for you? Surely. Okay. Mel Rosen was a coach of the U.S. Olympic track team. I forgot what year it was. But he was an Auburn, he was Auburn coach. Okay. And uh, one of the Auburn uh, kind of legends. And was a coach the Olympic team. Auburn making noise at the Olympic level. We're certainly, uh, we're all for that. Absolutely. We're all for that. Well, Mr. Hancock, as we look at this college football season that just ended, big year uh, as Cincinnati was able to get into the field there. And that's got to be something that I know Cincinnati was greatly excited about. Uh, but, but what did that do for the sport, you think? Well, they, they earned their spot, first of all. They were solid in there at number four and, and obviously had a great resume and, and a very good football team. Good players, well coached, and they, they were excited to be there. In our committee room, yeah, we know, of course we know, that, that a G5 team hadn't been in the playoff before. But that didn't have anything to do with the selections. It was just a matter of they... they they had the great win over Notre Dame. Nobody else up there had that kind of a win that they were in, in competition with, and they earned it. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I wonder too because you know, with that being such a momentous moment for the Group of Five, because you know, a lot of their talking points were that that was not attainable to make the top four. Well, they put together a season that truly deserved it and obviously they, they got their chance they uh, fought against Alabama as many fight and didn't quite come over the top but I mean it, it seemed like it was time for it in a sense like yes this was the, the right team to make the run but also just a timeliness of it because the noise was growing louder that it was not something that could be done. Yeah, and we all tuned out the noise. We, heard, I mean, it was there, but you, you, you don't have that be any kind of a factor in your selection process. It's all about who you played and how you did against them, and, and they, they had a good schedule and played well. So I, I don't know that we will ever eliminate the noise from any group. First of all, there will always be a Team 5 that's disappointed by not making the playoff, and there's a, there may always be some conference or a group of conferences that are disappointed. That, that goes with the territory. Now, they, 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 they earned it. Um, they were not chosen because they were in the group of five or because they were not in the group. None of the others were chosen because they were not in the group of five. Uh, they just deserved it, and and I was happy for them and actually pleased with the way they played. You know, they didn't win the game, obviously, against Alabama, but, but they hung with them. And, and, Bill, as we look forward, obviously, 
these next line of questions will be very obvious questions that you you faced before and will face again. Uh, but now we're starting to see the end of the contract in the future. I mean, we're starting to get closer and closer to it. I guess I'll start off with this changing college football landscape. Do you feel it necessitates a change in the number uh, of teams? And if so, or if not, I mean, why or why not, basically? I don't feel that the changing landscape necessitates a different number of teams. Uh, I hear that fairly often. Um, but we... It, 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 why we why you would expand the CFP is for participation to get more teams in the tournament and it's as simple as that and people say well aren't you tired of Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State and Oklahoma I, I don't I, people may be tired of that I get that but the fact is those schools are not in the CFP because of the format they're in the sea of people because they have really good players. <laughs> and so I, I don't think you, you, don't, you don't change the format in order to get different teams in the semifinals. But if, you do, if we do change the format, we'll be doing it for participation. And there's, there's more TV money. We all get that. I mean, we're going from X number of games would be in the 12-team tournament up to 11 games. So there's, there's more money for more games on TV. But do it for participation. Do it for the, giving the, the players the chance to be in the tournament. Bill Hancock is here with us. Radio Row, SEC Media Days here in 2022 in Atlanta. Currently the executive director of the college football playoff, but also spent 15-plus years at the Division I basketball level chairing the NCAA Tournament Committee. How much does that experience help you in your current role on the football side of things? It helps me a lot. It helps me a lot. I learned so much. Uh, by being in charge of the management of the uh, with the team management of the basketball tournament, I, I love that tournament. And we borrowed a lot of the principles. We uh, we borrowed some principles for the selection committee uh, from what from what I learned in basketball. Uh, but they're two different events, and you're not ever going to have 64 teams or 69 teams in or 68 whatever it is now. Sorry, Mike Leach. In a football <laughs> tournament. Sorry, Mike Leach. Leach. Yeah. Um, so what is the next – I mean, I know we're talking about everything playoff when it comes to even the number of participants, but what would be the next important issue in your opinion? Would it be the current bowls that receive uh, those games or would it be the time of year? Because I know some years it's, it's on New Year's Eve for the Final Four. Sometimes it's the day before, a couple days uh, after. So, so kind of is there a particular date that the committee is finding works better for for how the, the playoff would work? Well, first of all, our current event is so successful, and we're so proud of it, and um, we're going to keep on keeping on for the next this season and three more. Um, we tried some things. Well, we tried uh, semifinals on New Year's Eve and weeknights, and it didn't work. Now, we played last year on New Year's Eve because that was the, new, the national holiday for New Year's Day, and we're going to play on, on New Year's Eve this year, but it's Saturday, so it's college football day. Um, when, when I like the fact that we planted our flag on Monday night for the championship game. That works. It works. People can travel on the weekend, and, and we can have a weekend celebration of the game. It, it, it works in every single way. Um, did I answer the question? 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, pretty much. Cause, cause okay. it, it was about you know with more than just the number to because yeah. people obsess over the number, but there's also yeah. other issues when it comes to day yeah. of the week or or time of the year, and then also what what bowls might be yeah. kind of stewarding those games. It's complex, and when we got into talking about the, the potential for expansion a year ago, um, we pulled out every complexity we could think of. The, the period of time between the semifinals and the championship game. Now we strive for nine days. We don't always get that done. It'll be nine days this year. But you want to have, you certainly can't have less than a week. And with nine days is ideal in my mind. So then we'd be looking at playing some in the future if we, if we expand. First of all, the championship game would have to be later because we need more time to play the early rounds. And when do you play the early rounds? The NFL has games on Saturdays in December. And we run up against also uh, commencement, December commencement exercises. So we, we, those are some things we have to think about. Um, TV's interest, the t- there will be strong interest from television for this. I hope we can have two networks in the, in the bidding process. I don't know if we'll come out with two at the end of the day if we do expand. But I do know we want to have more than one interested in uh, in, in uh, being a part of the bidding. And I also, Bill, I, I don't, you know, we talk about it not, uh, conference expansion not necessitating a, a bigger playoff. In your mind, like, do you think, just taking the playoffs aside for a second, do you think conference expansion and, and super conferences are, are good for the sport and, and good for just the healthy nature of the sport? I think we're not ever going to have an AFC and an NFC in college football because we don't have one owner group. Um, so people can put that out of their minds if they're concerned about that. I don't know that we would have conferences more than 20-some. I just don't envision that. For one thing, the, the regionalization of college football is important, and I know we just lost a piece of it with SC and, and UCLA, but also conferences having the ability to, to sell their own TV rights and without, frankly, without putting all that revenue in, in a bucket to be divided among all schools. Uh, we're not anywhere close to that kind of thing. So I, I don't see the, conf- the, the super conferences happening, and I'm not sure if I see whether, if it did happen, whether it would be good or bad for the game. Our passion of college football is built on fans of the schools. Auburn fans own the Auburn Tigers, and that's great, and that's the way it should be. And, man, don't you say anything about my Auburn Tigers, because that's a part of me that's out there on Saturday. Uh, And that's the best thing we have going in college football. Bill Hancock is the executive director of the College Football Playoff, and he's joining us here on Sports Call today. Just feels like this is always the conversations that we're having, and so many people want answers now. Like, is there going to be – how do you deal with that, knowing that there is that chatter well, out there? Well, I just say I, t- I tune out the noise. Sure. And there's been so much <laughs> noise, inaccurate noise, about the conference expansion. And it's because people have to write and they have to talk about it. And, well, what if these two conferences combined? Well, just use a little common sense. Anyway, so I tune out the noise. I'm very optimistic about our game, um, college football, college sports in general. Um, 
softball, yeah, baseball, goodness, uh, certainly men's and women's basketball. Man, we got a lot of good things going for us in college sports. And we open with gymnastics in our conversation. And gymnastics, I mean, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Ab- absolutely. It, it, we, we, we've, college athletics is the second biggest provider of scholarships in this country, uh, behind the GI Bill. It's pretty cool. Well, let me wrap with this. You mentioned not being able to be with us last year because you're at the Olympic Games in 2021, and and the news that breaks at Media Days a year ago was the expansion of the Southeastern Conference, welcoming Texas and Oklahoma in the years to come. Mr. Hancock, you're a native of the state of Oklahoma. What does it mean for that state to join the SEC, and and what do you think the people of, of Oklahoma are excited about? Well, they're excited about the, uh, the, the, the uh, being in a conference with solid membership. There was always talk about Big 12 and this and that and this and that. Um, I'm, I'm sorry to see Oklahoma leaving Oklahoma State. I don't mind telling you that. I think a lot of people in Oklahoma sure. are. Uh, this is not the first time that's happened. Oklahoma left Oklahoma A&M behind in the conference expansion deal in 1927. Oklahoma and Kansas State. Nearly 100 years ago. Nearly 100 years ago. (laughs) Oklahoma, Kansas State, Missouri, KU, and Iowa State left the conference to form the the Big Six Conference and left Oklahoma State behind. Oklahoma State did not get back in the conference with that group for, for 30 years. So this has all happened before. I'm sorry that Oklahoma doesn't get to play Nebraska on Thanksgiving. But Nebraska's found a great rival in Iowa, and Oklahoma's done just fine. I'm sorry that Texas and Arkansas don't play anymore. Now they will, I suppose. Uh, Times change, and just stay calm and and get with it and and work with it, and everything's going to be fine. Fair to say Auburn folks are going to enjoy their trips to Norman, Oklahoma in the years to come? Is that fair to say? I cannot wait to see some of those matchups. <laughs> I can't wait to see USC going up to play Minnesota sure. on yeah. November 17th. <laughs> That's a good thought. Yeah. I, can't, I cannot wait to see that. Hey, I, I love Auburn. Spent a lot of time in Auburn. David Housel is one of my best friends. And and uh, I rode my bicycle across the country. We love this Spent story. in David, David's house, and the next morning I got lost in Opelika. Yeah. <laughs> I'd still be riding around Opelika if a guy in a Fritos truck hadn't helped me out. And that showed me the way to Lynette. Yes. Is it Lynette or Lanet? Lynette. 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 Yeah. And then I rode on to West Point, Georgia, and off to the Atlantic Ocean. There you go. There you go. Mr. Hancock. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my story again. Absolutely. We love it. We love it. Thanks for stopping All by right. the show. Thanks, guys. That's See ya. Bill Hancock joining us here on Sports Call. We'll be back right after this commercial break, live from SEC Media Days on Radio Row. I'm Jeff Whitaker, Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back. It's SEC Media Days. We're on Radio Row. 
live in Atlanta, Georgia, the College Football Hall of Fame. My name is J.J. Jackson with Brooks Childress, Ryan LaVoy, and Tom Peavy. Our thanks again to Bill Hancock, the executive director of the College Football Playoff, for joining us moments ago here on the program. Always good to see him each and every year. Uh, He's got a lot to say about expansion. It's a big topic of conversation. We talk about it all the time. I can only imagine what that guy hears and you know we're not he's been on every radio there are 35 radio shows here at radio road to tell people kind of the setup here and he's been answering the questions also what does he know that he can't say he can't talk about right that right well you have to read between the lines because i think you know he caught himself one time saying you know as more of like a hypothetical when he was talking about in the future having possibly two TV networks carry the playoff, and he kind of said when instead of if we expect, you know. So it's just right. like reading between the lines there. I, and I almost, I, I after the uh, interview when we went to break, I we got off and I, and I pretty much just apologized to him because he's such a nice human being and he takes everything so well. But it's just like you've got to ask like the most hard-hitting questions, like how many are there going to be? When are they going to be? Why are they going to be? And it's you know it's just it's difficult because it's like every it's on everyone's mind. You have to ask those questions, yep. um, knowing full and well he's not going to break the news over the airwaves. Um, so anyway, it, it is always good to talk to him, and just catch up though, and, and see his thought process behind everything. And, and clearly, clearly, we're entering a new age of college football. And and I agree. Like I, I don't think we'll end up with just like two conferences or, or, or you know we will have other conferences it might be the only two that matter um and, and hopefully we don't get there but you know i i think it will always evolve and he hit on why it's important to remember what college football is and, and the regionality but between it you know and, and how passionate these fans are about their team and how many would get left behind if, if you did have only 40 teams or so that mattered. So, uh, you know, that's, that is felt and that is understood, and I'm glad that it is amongst even the people high up making decisions that college football is still best when everyone cares, not just a s- select group. And the dude is just such a genius. Like, I want to give his bio because I don't know that we've given it full due and respect on the program before. We do chat with him most years at SEC Media Days when he's not, you know, attending his 15th Olympic Games like he was a year ago. Bill Hancock is has achieved a unique trifecta at the highest echelon of intercollegiate athletics. The first full-time director of the NCAA Final Four. Pretty humongous event. The first executive director of the Bowl Championship Series pretty significant event and the first executive director of the college football playoff spent 16 years with the ncaa division one men's basketball championship committee 13 years as its director and starting in 2005 appointed as the first director of the bowl championship series i mean it's unbelievable what he's been able to do conversations he's had like he's a smart guy he knows where the sport is going he's always been the guy Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for for Good two point. different sports here. I mean, that that spans nearly thirty years, or maybe a little over thirty years, uh, as far as working uh, the NCAA basketball tournament, and working these big bowl games, and that sort of thing. And you know, that background. I probably should have hit on that a little bit more. That bowl background, because there's always this 
this thought process that the more playoff games you have, the less the other bowl games will matter. And granted, he was talking about, or he worked with the BCS, and if we did make the playoff bigger, essentially be all the old BCS bowls uh, potentially hosting them. But but nevertheless, I mean, that's that's a topic in football, and that's something that used to be the bowl games, every one of them seem to matter more than they do now. And that's just something that we're living with when we make the playoff and we make it potentially bigger here sooner rather than later and, and so uh, it's it's complicated stuff and i think that's like we knew we knew all this coming into this week but i think it's just a good reminder to talk to all these people and hear it from all these different people that these are complex issues and we can all spout off what we think is a very simple solution but the reality is there are a lot of things to consider <laughs> and there are a lot of things that could go wrong when you don't consider issues and a lot of unintended consequences from sport changing uh, options here it's 50 years of professional experience for Bill Hancock and he's it's not just one person he's got a full committee that's working with him and too many times it feels like Speaking from the fans' perspective, I, I don't know. It just feels like people are shouting like this is so obvious, and it's like, okay, you got to You yeah. don't know everything that goes into it, and he's clearly been on all those conversations. Yeah, and, and you know, we can all. You know, it, it's it's with everything. There's there's certain things that you know you say that this is uh, this is supposed to be how it is, and this is obvious how it should be, but it, it's. There, there's there's some things that you you know go on behind the scenes that no one really knows they're they're happening. The public doesn't know what's happening, and so we can you know we, and we're guilty of it too on the on the show. And we talk about it on the show. We're like, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what needs to happen. But in in reality, we don't know what is you know what is transpiring behind the scenes. We don't know all the in, ins and outs dealings that are happening with the college football playoff expansion. They could you know they they could be meeting you know having you know phone calls every single day and working things out and then all of a sudden in like three weeks we get hey they're going to expand to like you know eight teams or whatever or it may never expand you don't you just never know how those conversations go and like he said there's not one commissioner of this of the college football there are five commissioners of the power five schools and then there's five commissioners of the group of five schools and everybody's basically involved in this thing that's ten at least ten different uh, uh, opinions opinions and then you've got teams like army navy notre dame independence that also get a say in what's going on it's hard to get people on the same page Without a doubt it is, and that's what they're trying to do there with the college football playoff, and we'll see if that can happen. Thanks again to Bill Hancock for joining us on the program as we wind down the first hour. Still to come on today's show, we've got Ryan McGee, Laura Rutledge, Sean McDade, and Jim Nagy. All will be a part of Sports Call here today. And uh, let me give some breaking news to folks as well on an institution that was here yesterday, that being the LSU Tigers. They've announced that they are going to have a Popeyes on their campus later in 2022. They're the first SEC campus to partner with Popeyes. I feel like that was important news that people needed to know. The way you set that up, I just didn't know if (laughs) penalties were coming or, you know, if they had a big NIL deal that they decide and no. Popeyes on a college campus. How do you feel about that? Picking their chicken. I mean, they... That's great for them. But they also have a fine establishment by the name of Raisin Cane's. <laughs> and uh, any chicken that you're consuming instead of Raisin Cane's is a uh, mistake and a misstep. Um, and so 
you know, if Raising Canes would like to come to Auburn and set up shop, I would not be opposed. You're advocating for that. Might be. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Popeyes is coming to LSU. That was the big news I wanted to share with the world that they've announced. I, I thought the I thought the news you were going to share is the fact that it is storming like all get out outside of the outside of the college football. You're not offense. kidding. You're not like, kidding. I, I heard. I, I thought somebody dropped somewhere. It's like big boom of what was thunder. I thought somebody had dropped something. It was that loud, and we're like tucked away inside of a big building. The sun is shining on the plains as we hear, but not so much yeah. here. Uh, in the ATL. And maybe the Thunder Chickens will the get The Thunder to play Chickens tonight. do play a little bit later tonight. Not with us. We Can't wait to there. see how that goes. All right, the first hour of Sports Call has come to a close. We've got two hours left to go. Alongside Brooks, Ryan, and Tom, I'm JJ. One hour in the books, and we're rolling. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starts right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson with Brooks Childress and Ryan LaVoy. Tom Peavy hanging out with us as well. SEC Media Days live from Radio Row, and I'm always way too loud. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. We still love you, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, now, okay, Mike Leach had a thing today where he said basically he'd rather have too few players in a, in a package than too many plays in a package because they're talking about his area offense. I'd rather you, the host of this fine program, be too loud than too low. I appreciate I, I that. I don't know. It, too low, at least, you know, you can turn your volume up a little bit more in the corner. Well, actually, yeah, in radio, get, it's probably better to be too low. I get, tried. I tried. You, you get too loud, you blow the speakers out. I tried to have your back, JJ. That's, if you're that's, too loud, just turn it down. Okay, but if you clip out and it's like it's, it's starting to modulate, then, like, you can't. Turning it down is still going to have modulation. Well, you know, it's past the point of no return. You yeah. know, is the, your eye okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know what the secret sauce of all of this is? What is that? I've got Brant Daughtry back inside the studio, uh-huh. but mixing the magic for me and making us sound great. But the thing about it is, if he turns the whole thing down, he turns all of us down, and not right. all of us have to come down. Okay. It's well, now you're you. getting way too technical on the radio we have, end. We have a way to do it. Right. We can do it. Okay. Well, I'm I'm giving Brant a shout out, and here you are trying to take the limelight away from no, him. I'm so. tra- no, I'm trying. No, I'm trying to. Take the blame away from Way him. I'm trying to, to put it back on you. Way to go. I'm giving him some love. All right, 334-887-3401 or toll free at one 9 if you would like to do, call in and be a part of the show. Do we need to go see someone? We need to see somebody. This is getting out of hand for sure. For sure. Um, 
All right, coming up in about 10 minutes or so, Laura Rutledge will be by from ESPN and the SEC Network. We caught up with her already this week. Also, we'll get a chance to chat with Ryan McGee. Uh, We've heard, again, Nick Saban, Mike Leach, Shane Beamer, and Clark Lee have been here today. And a lot of people, big fans of Shane Beamer and what he's doing there at South Carolina. Yeah, no, he's a very charismatic guy. And he, look, we we joke with Vanderbilt, okay, because they just kind of are set apart from all the realistic possibilities of success in the SEC. I mean, there 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 are still 13 teams that can find success in this league. It's harder for others, but you just can't expect Vanderbilt over a five- or six-year period of time to compete for conference championships. You just can't do it, um, really even one or two years in a row. Uh, so you look at South Carolina. They're clearly a team that has had historical struggles. They don't have the history of this program, uh, of their program winning championships. Um, however, if you're in the SEC, you're still a notch above a lot of other conferences schools and uh, even big conferences schools and so for South Carolina yeah they might be I don't I don't know where they would rank if you'd rank them 10th or 12th or 9th or, or wherever you would rank them in the SEC but they still have a certain level of a quality facilities they have a great home atmosphere at Williams Bryce Stadium um, I'm so tired of that gamecock making those noises <laughs> after everything they do so that's intimidating and and you know they still have you know as Shane Beamer talked about today uh, a situation where there's no professional sports in South Carolina the, yeah. the two shows in town are Clemson and South Carolina football and athletics and so that's a unique ability because I I discredit that sometimes in some of these big markets like we're so obsessed in the professional sports world about New York and Los Angeles and Chicago etc etc but it is to your benefit in college athletics to not actually be in one of those big markets because in New York City who in the hell cares about about their colleges in the state of New York in Los Angeles it is so difficult. Even though USC is a very proud historic program, it is hard to get those people's attention to that. And so in South Carolina, it is ability uh, for a, a collegiate program in the state of South Carolina to say there are no professional teams. It helps the state of Alabama immensely. <laughs> what is professional? Alabama and Auburn football is professional in the state of Alabama. And, and so I think there are real valid points there. Now, he is still having to be a salesman for his program because he's still fighting 11 or 12 other programs that are very similar or in a better shape than South Carolina. They have even better facilities. They have even more fans that are rabid. You know, they have even a a tougher home environment and they have even more history. And so it it is a tough sell, but, but Shane Beamer is a very charismatic and energetic guy. And so he is fit for that job. And look, Steve Spurrier showed you can go to conference championship games there again you know like I I know that we're in this in this period now where Georgia and Kirby Smart are dominating things but like can it be done yes Steve Spurrier proved it can be done so Shane Beamer being a salesman for this program is getting some attention to it and getting some excitement around it and that's the first step when you're trying to build your way out of that 10 to 12 spot in the SEC 
Yeah, I mean, he uh, it didn't do themselves any favors over there when Clemson went on the little run that they did. And they're still going to be a factor. I don't know if they get back to the level that they were a couple of years ago, but that's something that South Carolina as a program had to run into all of a sudden is that Clemson turned into a juggernaut in that same state, in a very tiny state. Uh, but, like you mentioned, he's still in the SEC. He has one of the most loyal fan bases yeah. in, in oh, yeah. the entire conference. Uh, one of the greatest environments in the conference at Williams-Brice. It's a, one that a lot of people don't think about when you compare it to Jordan-Hare or, or Death Valley at LSU. But Williams-Brice could get pretty crazy. Pound for pound, they might be number one because all these other stadiums are 100,000. Right. This is a 70-something low 70s or something like that. Se- so. Yeah, uh, yeah mid-70s. 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 Um, yeah, when they get the sandstorm going, when they're playing the you know the 2001 Space Odyssey as they're coming out on the field and they got the towels going, uh, it, it's an environment. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, I, the potential is there for South Carolina, and they've shown that they can recruit top athletes. So you can't say that. Uh, you know, it was just back several years ago. They got Marcus Lattimore. I mean, he was the number one running back in the country. Uh, they had a, a Clowney. I mean, they could get guys there at South Carolina. It's just a matter of getting enough of them to where they can start competing with the likes of Georgia and Tennessee. And I, I really still think Florida is going to start getting themselves back into the picture. So, uh, but he's, he's he's got the pedigree with who his dad was. He's got things around him there at South Carolina. And yeah, I mean they can get they can get South Carolina back to a respectable area. And I, that's something that I would not be willing to say about Missouri. I definitely would not be able to say that about Vanderbilt. Uh, I, I think those I think those two teams are some that are just treading water. And I say that and this is a Missouri team that has been right. to an SEC. Even they have a chance. <laughs> Even it's they, a lower chance. Yeah. But I say, don't tell Clark Lee that the uh, Vanderbilt program is not going to go anywhere. Yeah, That's his comment today, is he, yeah, his <laughs> quote was that he he fully expected the Vanderbilt to be one of the best teams in the country in the coming years. It's like, well, uh, is he talking about baseball? <laughs> I'm sure the APR rate's great. <laughs> and, I, and we were talking about the East. I left out Kentucky. Kentucky's one of those that I, I don't think Kentucky's ever going to get to national title level, but they're going to be good. I mean, they're yeah. they're going to be there as long as long as Stoops still coaching them. I mean, they're doing some pretty decent things there. Something I'd be but, interested to see with Kentucky, Tom, is that if if Stoops cont- stays and he continues to win eight, nine games and kind of finish second, third in the East. Does the appetite continue to increase where all of a sudden, because again, there's a lot of history in college football. Okay, 150 years just happened a a few years back. Right. Um, But that doesn't mean you can't create new history over time. Sure. So if they go a decade or two with Stoops and, and spit out some top 25 teams, does the appetite and expectation change enough to where all of a sudden they expect to get out of the cellar, they expect to win eight, nine games, and they start to move as more of a middle program than a bottom program? Because for until Stoops, I would have told you Missouri would have been above Kentucky for me. Right. You know, and Kentucky would have been maybe 13th or 12th in the in the in the conference as a whole or 11th maybe you know factoring in the Mississippi schools as well so you know it, it feels like yes it's a lot to overcome but if Stoops becomes that program wonder where he 
for whatever reason, doesn't ever move on to another school, but he has no problems continuing on with the success he's shown at Kentucky the last five years or so. You know, do, do they? Does their equation change at all? I, I would just wonder if if it's still out there to, to change them over. I, again, it's not going to happen in the next couple of years, but just over time, if they just slowly climb up a ladder to make themselves more consistently relevant. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously the big factor is, is if Stoop stays there, I personally don't think that he will. I, I think that a big opportunity is going to come along for him and he's going to leave Kentucky because, uh, I mean, that's just what's expected. That's what usually happens, yeah. Or could but, but when you look at the basketball side of things, that's exactly what everybody was saying about Bruce Pearl with Auburn. Is like, well, he's going to have some success there and get and get himself back into the good graces of everybody, and he's going to move on. Well, it doesn't look like he's moving on from Auburn anytime soon. So maybe Stoops loves it there. Maybe he is their Bruce Pearl. Has uh, taken a, a a a program, a football program that was, you know, outside of a couple of years there with Hal Mummy, nothing really to speak of at all uh and now they're they're relevant to an extent they're relevant in the east i don't think they're relevant in the national in the yeah. national yeah. picture of things but they're relevant in the east because they can compete up there with they could they, be second this they year could, yeah. <laughs> they could be second um and so yeah i think as long as he stays there i i think there is a chance but i I, I just, I really think that Kentucky just still has so much work to do, uh, but just because of the history. I mean, the history is just not there right. for them. It, when you look at the history of Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, uh, man, that's a tall mountain to try to get to the top of right there. Well, Kentucky's day will come later this week in the SEC East here at SEC Media Days. Same can be said for Georgia and Florida. Tennessee, the Volunteers, haven't made their way through Atlanta here just yet. Let's go ahead and we'll take our next commercial break here on Sports Call. When we come back, Laura Rutledge from ESPN stops by our set. It's going to be awesome to catch up with her. And you get to listen to that conversation right after this. Alongside Tom, Ryan, and Brooks. I'm JJ. Sports Call's back in just a moment. Do you want to join our conversation? Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401 or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Welcome back into Sports Call here in Auburn on Tiger 95.9 FM and the Tiger Communications app live from SEC Media Days in Atlanta. J.J. Jackson and Brooks Childress with ESPN's Laura Rutledge. Laura, it's so good to see you as always. Talking season is here, Woo-hoo! which means football is right around the corner. That's got to be a good feeling for everybody. It is, and it's so good to see you guys and good to be with you again. I cannot wait for this football season. I know I say that every year, but it just every year it feels even better than it did the last time. And as much of the chaos has been the 
storyline in this offseason in college football and all the changes, for me, I just can't wait to actually see the games happen, right? And, and, and all of a sudden, all that chaos gets shoved to the side as we focus on what matters most, which is the football. It's one of those things where there are so many changes, and it is important to talk about, but you're right. Let's talk football at the end of the day. Let's <laughs> right. figure out who's good, who's not good. And uh, we talk about the Auburn Tigers every day here yeah. and uh, what a year it's been for them. And it's been a lot of talking and mm. not as much product on the field. And so from the outside looking in at Auburn, a lot of it has got to be let's just play football and not focus as much about noise that's yeah. out there. Yeah, man, noise is a good way to put it. I mean, it, it's really interesting. I'll be fascinated to see how Brian Harson handles this week because of everything that's gone on in the offseason and, and people – kind of pushing him out the door and and we know how tough it is to be the head coach at Auburn you guys know it really well and he knows that right he he knows the extreme expectations that are warranted for such a great program and so I'll be interested to see how he handles those questions because he'll get a lot of them I think this week and and then it's it is about you know transitioning to what does this look like on the field because you know that these Auburn fans will be impatient as they should they expect greatness and that's what they should get and obviously we'll see what Zach Calzada looks like we'll see you know if he brings something to the table that listen we've seen flashes of greatness from him right and and what does that look like when it's translated to this Auburn system but with the the max the mass exodus that we saw of players of some coaches right and and just the changes that Brian Harson was trying to implement that haven't gone over as well. I am fascinated to see how that all kind of comes together <laughs> next year one way or the other for Harson's regime. When you look at, you know, you mentioned the mass exodus of coaches. It feels like now, though, Brian Harson has the guys that he wants hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. It felt like last year he got guys into that were familiar with the SEC a little bit, and now he's got his guys in there. Do you think that's going to have any sort of bigger impact this year for the Tigers? I do. I mean, listen, if, if you're the leader of something and the people around you aren't necessarily who you're familiar with or, or where you feel most comfortable or not necessarily going along with the things you're trying to implement, if that makes sense, you're not going to have that much success. And so so I actually commend him for surrounding himself with people who he really wants to be surrounded by. And I think it'll allow the, the leadership to come across a little bit better to the players who are still there. And listen, I mean, you think about transfers, you know, Bo Nix going to Oregon and, and some of these guys leaving. Okay, great. So now you've got players, hopefully, that want to be there and that understand what's required from an Auburn football player and uh, under Brian Harson, right? And, and as long as that's the case, we'll, we'll be able to see what that looks like next season. When you look at this Tigers team on paper just before the season, I know everybody puts out, you know, previews and everything. What do you think is going to be the biggest plus for this Tigers team this year? I actually think it's the depth of the quarterback position. And and like I said, I mean, we've seen Zach Calzada show flashes. And, and I think that maybe what's gotten lost in all the shuffle is that Brian Harson's a really good quarterback coach. And so uh, to get them paired up together potentially and to see what that looks like, I'm excited. I, to me, I feel like, you know, if you look back at even some of Gus Malzahn's teams and even going back before that, we haven't seen a quarterback at Auburn that we really felt like could lead them to a national championship. Now, did they win Iron Bowls? Yeah, they did. And that's great. But they can get a lot more and they can they can win a lot more. And so I'm not saying they're winning a national championship this year, but <laughs> that would be crazy. Um, <laughs> listen, if it happens, we'll say I yeah. said it here. Uh, but but I, I do think we can see sort of what that can look like in some of those flashes of greatness from the QB spot which have been missing. So that, to me, I think is the the biggest positive when you look at the Tigers. 
it's going to be different, of course. You look at this next season for Auburn. You mentioned the quarterback change, but on the offensive side of the ball, you got a running back in Tank Bigsby, who yeah. so many people in the league are talking about. Everyone's using this extra year of COVID eligibility yeah. that they've still got. So, I mean, it feels like we've got 30-year-olds, mainly on the <laughs> offensive line, that are playing for Auburn. But there really are some experienced pieces there outside of the quarterback position for Auburn this season. Yeah, and I love Tank. And I, yeah. I was so excited to see that he would come back for another year. And by the way, that was the right thing to do. You know, it, it's great for him in his career. I still think he projects as a great NFL running back, too, whenever that opportunity comes. So I'd love to see him being used even more. You know, I felt like there were times last season. I, I bet they'll do that, especially with a different quarterback who maybe runs the offense exactly how Brian Harson wants it to run, uh, hopefully. I, I'll be interested to see how they use him. And I, I think Bigsby can be used even more. But but you're right. I mean, some changes. And, and listen, change isn't always bad. You know, I think yeah. it could be a good thing. And uh, for me, um, you know, this this offense should obviously run through the quarterback. But Tank Bigsby is the next person that it should run through. The experience in O-line, too, that's a great thing. I mean, you look across the league, some of these O-lines will be better because they've got more experience. But it's hard to find an O-line that's really been together, you know, maybe as long as, as this Auburn O-line. And so uh, there's some chemistry factor there that I think matters. As we wrap here with you, you've been everywhere in your career, and you take a look across the SEC, all the great venues you've been to. Speaking to the Auburn folks at large here, what have you appreciated about oh. game days at Jordan here? Now that things are back open, everybody's yeah. there in attendance. What do you appreciate about game days? Oh, my days? goodness. I, I love Jordan here. It, it is one of my favorite places to go, and I've had the pleasure of being there for some Iron Bowls, which have been phenomenal atmospheres. And um, being on the field when Auburn has won those games, it's been a whole lot of fun. <laughs> but just the the pride that Auburn fans have and, and the tradition and the War Eagle and watching the Eagle flight. I mean, there are so many things that I think make it such a unique venue in college football and one that is extremely intimidating to play in if you're the opponent, but also offers up a great advantage if you are an Auburn Tiger. So I love Auburn. I love the town. I love the food. I love the people and cannot wait to get back there with SEC Nation this year. And then one more question before we let you go, Laura. SEC Media Days, there's always a lot of announcements. Right. So we got to know, is Reese going to be making her picks again this year? <laughs> <laughs> yes, she is. Um, the, yeah, you guys you guys are the first to ask this, so you can consider this breaking news. There we go. Uh, Reese will be making her picks. We're going to do it slightly different, which I won't give that away yet. You'll see You'll see when she makes them. But after a 14-3 and record last year, we thought, we've got to keep this going. <laughs> this kid's on to something. So I actually think some of the, some of the Vegas people would have been mad at me if we hadn't kept it going. So here we go. <laughs> Laura, it's so good. Good to see you as always. Thanks for stopping by. Great to see you guys. Thanks for having me. That's Laura Rutledge here on Sports Call. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. At Mid-South Bank, we pride ourselves on being the friendliest and most helpful bank in town. For over 100 years, we've been helping families prosper and helping businesses grow. Mid-South Bank is a local bank with local people making local decisions. We're a community bank who will always be there when you need us. Whatever banking services you need, we're here to help. Visit us today at 519 East Glen Avenue in Auburn or online at bankmidsouth.com. Equal Housing Lender, Brad Jesse. 
The Potting Shed Garden Shop is your one-stop shop for all your outdoor and gardening needs. And now with two convenient locations, it's even easier to get all lawn and garden essentials. Visit them today for a wide variety of landscaping plants and flowers along with the area's best selection of planters, beautiful fountains, bird baths, and gardening gifts for that special green thumb in your life. The Potting Shed Garden Shop located at the corner of Moore's Mill and Society Hill Roads and their new location at the corner of North College Street and Highway 280. And don't forget to follow them on Facebook at the Potting Shed Auburn. My joints aren't what they used to be. Routine exercise, playing ball outside with the kids, riding bikes on vacation. I never worried about keeping up. But now, my joint pain has started slowing me down. I decided to make an appointment with the orthopedic clinic. Their surgical partners had the experience, technology, and personalized approach to care that I was looking for. Best of all, it was close to home. I'm thankful I chose the orthopedic clinic. Don't let joint pain slow you down. Visit theorthoclinic.com and schedule your appointment today. When you need a custom t-shirt, why go through all the hassle of dealing with big online corporations when you can have your design brought to life right here in Auburn? Master Graphics Enlightened Screen Printing makes your design however you want it, not some generic style used thousands of times. With great brands like Champion and Nike Golf, take your business or next family gathering to the next level with custom apparel from Master Graphics in Auburn. Stop by and see them today at 175 South Gay Street or give them a call at 887 Nothing says summer like an ice-cold twisted tea, hard iced tea. Smooth, refreshing, real brewed tea with 5% alcohol. Look for twisted tea in the bright yellow cans with the sun. Keep it twisted. I'm Brian Harson, head football coach of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. back into Sports Call, live from SEC Media Days, Radio Row 2022 here in Atlanta, Georgia. J.J. Jackson with Ryan LaVoy and Tom Peavy. And so thrilled to be joined by one of our favorites, ESPN and the SEC Network's own Ryan McGee. What's going on, man? I'm good. We were just I was just nerding out on you guys. Yeah. You, you are in my favorite, the rivalry corner, which is my favorite display. Because I, I love the College Football Hall of Fame. Love it. And, and I, this is my favorite area because this is like, you know, Paul Bunyan's axe and there's Army-Navy football and like the trombone from the, from the Cal-Stanford game. I, it's, uh, I, I, that's why I love being here. I, I do. I love this building so much. And Rivalry Corner, we're right here by the Iron Bowl that's yeah. displayed in front of us. There I mean, you like, go. We're right at home. There you go. Brian Hurst is going to walk by here tomorrow <laughs> yeah. and get a Sharpie and put what the score should have been up there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Man, what a game that was looking back on it. We get set for year two of the Brian Harson era. Yeah. And uh, you're plugged in. You know that there's been some noise and some chatter. Yeah. Uh, from your perspective, how kind of crazy has this offseason been for the Auburn football Tigers? It's, it's – 
I was just talking about this with someone else a minute ago. The the, um, the good news for Brian Harson is is that he has now had the full SEC experience, right? You know, in le- until you've had a booster coup, you know, you've not really <laughs> experienced life as, a, as an SEC head football coach. And, you know, I, I think – and I, I, I know him a little bit. You know, I, I've, I've dealt with him with someone who was out in Boise. I love – I don't know if you guys know this, but I love Rocky Mountain football. Like, I grew up ordering a pizza at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night and watching the WAC, right? Watching San Diego State and Colorado State and Air Force and Boise and those guys – and so I love those guys. There's, there's kind of a whole coaching tree of those guys, and, uh, and Harson's part of that group. And so I knew there would be a little bit of a personality rub, a difference, certainly coming off of Gus that was just different. Um, but, it's, uh, um, but I didn't know. I, I think if he could go back and have the whole COVID thing over again, the way he handled that, I think he got off on the wrong foot with a lot of people. Even, no matter where you felt sure. on, on that issue, it, it just kind of came off weird. Um, and then, you know, again, if he could have the Iron Bowl back, obviously. Um, but, yeah, but now – but there's no way he's going to have a weirder year. And I've just cursed it by saying that because, you know, because <laughs> I love Auburn, but they, they kind of specialize in weird years. So, it's going to be – it's going to be interesting to watch. But, but it's um, – I think that sometimes his, his, his lack of worrying about stuff that he doesn't believe matters comes off as stoic and distant and aloof. And um, and I think that probably didn't serve him very well, you know. In the mid, if he had a little more, little more personality out there, you know, during a weird year, it might have helped him. All of us proudly boast Auburn degrees. Yeah. Yet we could be a little bit realistic, and I'm forever the optimist. And even saying that, yep. we're well aware of where Auburn's going to be projected yep. in the grand scheme of things. You're talking to Tennessee alone. You don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to sell me on any of this. Let me tell you. But when you look at Auburn and the on the field product this year big deal that Bo Nix is not the quarterback anymore that he's moved on right what stands out to you with this Auburn team um you know I just to me it's what did the, the guys who are returning you know how much did all of that stuff that we focus on bother them yeah we were just talking to Nick Saban about this and, and what what Saban said was Marty and I did and what Saban said was he said I, I asked him a question I said so when you get to practice like when practice starts in a few weeks are you going to be relieved? Like, okay, we're finally on the field, and now I don't have to hear about NIL. And he said, here's the thing, man. He goes, we don't really worry about that stuff anyway. He said, the, what makes you know my quarterback and what makes Will Anderson and he said, what makes them so good is they're in the weight room working. They, you know, they'll, they'll, sure, they know what's going on, but they don't worry about that. And so that's my question for these guys that are coming back for the Tigers, which is, you know, are they a, were they able to just compartmentalize that stuff, realize it was what it was? I think we all live it because we love the game and we're lums or, or, you know, whatever. I think we were all living it pretty hard, and I don't know that the players were, but we won't know that, you know, until t- t- we get in front of them, until we get them on the practice field. So that's, to me, that's, that's the big thing is, where are they on all the stuff that happened sure. last fall? And I think probably – a bunch of 19-year-olds, they're probably weren't that worried about it. And uh, we'll find out pretty quick. Well, and as you know with Auburn, I mean, they seem like they have an inverse relationship with their expectations. Right. Because if they're expected to oh, do yeah. great, they yeah. go 6-6. Six and six. If they're expected to be towards the bottom, right. that's national championship uh, worthy. Yeah. Um, and, and so I wonder with this team, I, I think everyone clearly has Alabama number one, as they should. But when you look at two through seven, even with A&M involved in that in some degree, I feel like there's a lot of mixing and matching depending on how seasons go at certain positions and that sort of thing. So, like, for Auburn to be the best version of themselves and for them to kind of factor more into the middle to top of the West rather than the projected bottom, 
what needs to go right for them this season? Just limit mistakes. You know, that, that's the thing is you, you think about the biggest moments for them when the game could have gone this way or the other, including the Iron Ball, is don't make a mistake. You know, if you, you just take care of your business, then you'll be okay. And, and so, you know, those things start to, uh, particularly with, and again, talking to Tennessee alum, it's a snowball, right? You know, something bad happens and another thing bad happens, and eventually you start, by the time you get to game seven, you're just expecting that to happen all the time. So to me, it's just limit mistakes. You know, it's don't turn the ball over. You know, when did the drama come in? When great Bo was great Bo, everything was fine. But when Bo turned the ball over or when Bo lost control of what was going on, that's, that's when things got sideways. And so it's just, especially in the first month of the year, it's working on the fundamentals, you know, get your first downs, don't turn the ball over, and then, you know, you can get creative when you hit October. Well, you were talking about Bo. Obviously, he's not going to be there this year. Yeah. Don't really know who the official quarterback is right. going to be. I think everybody <laughs> assumes it's probably going to be Zach Calzada. Yeah. What, what do you know about Zach from, from his time at Texas A&M? What type of player is Auburn getting smart. in Smart. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what the scouting report for, that I've received on him is, just, is smart. Right. You know, no one's going to beat him in the film room. No, you know, he just, he's smart and he's coachable. And, uh, and you, you could have said the same thing about Bo Nix. But I think that that's what you need to replace. And isn't a wild man. You know what I mean? Right. And, again, I think stability is what we're looking for. And so if you get through September playing smart ball – and doing what you're told to do, and quite frankly, this is kind of the kind of guy that Brian Harson likes. Right. Then uh, I think there's a lot of potential there. You think he is going to be the yeah. starter? Ultimately? Yeah, I think so. Isn't it funny though? Because like like Spencer Rattler wasn't here for South Carolina, <laughs> right? And, and to his credit, I mean, Spencer Rattler was like, "Listen, man, guys should be there that have been been playing there for years. I've, I've been here you know, a few months, played one spring game, but you know, the official reason was because he's in a quarterback battle. When we interviewed Shane Beamer about an hour ago. He probably referenced Spencer Rattler as the starting quarterback <laughs> six times without actually calling him a starting quarterback. So, yeah, we have a lot of QB battles uh, in the SEC this fall that I don't think are actually going to be QB battles. It's Ryan McGee with us from Marty McGee, ESPN and the SEC Network. And obviously we're here at the SEC Media Days, a football kickoff event. Before we let you get out of here, though, your last big deal was being in Omaha. And the yeah. Auburn Tigers happened to be there, got a big win uh, there under Butch Thompson. Did you have any run-ins with, with Coach Thompson or the Auburn guys? Yeah, sure. No, in, fact, in fact, they were uh, I think they were in a hotel. And so, yeah, it was great. It was – how crazy was it? So we got eight teams at the College World Series. And half of the field are officially SEC schools. <laughs> and then Texas and Oklahoma are both there. It's six schools. That's <laughs> I, I, all I could think. The whole, I ran into the Stanford guys. They're great dudes. And, you know, the coach at Stanford was an assistant there forever. He looked at me and he goes, this high school going to be all the time now? I said, yeah. <laughs> I, I said, maybe. So, yeah, I tell you this. Um, the atmosphere, and this is no slight, I, I would say this, no matter who I was talking to, what media days were, the atmosphere when there are more SEC schools there is completely off the chart. And, by, and oh, by the way, the number one team in the country, my mom wasn't even there. You know, so, so it, it was, um, but, but it was the atmosphere. I didn't think anyone could beat the atmosphere that was created by Mississippi State's run a year ago. But I'm telling you, man, when we got down to the Final Four, which is about the time I got there, and it was almost all SEC show, and, and those, Miss, those old Miss fans, I don't know if there's just nothing to do in Oxford anymore, what the deal was, <laughs> but the entire town of Oxford showed up for that, for that game on Sunday. Well, we certainly loved it. Hopefully it's more trips to the College World Series for Butch yeah. Thompson and the bunch. And yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and Auburn, again, like Tennessee, Auburn's one of those programs that you look at the numbers and you can't believe 
that their their college world series numbers aren't better than they are. Like right. they should. You know, I I think about the teams I saw when I was in school. Sure, Auburn should have been in the college world series twenty times. You know, <laughs> and Tennessee's the same way. And so, uh, you know, but it, but it's uh, but yeah, I think I think they got things rolling now. And so, uh, you know. You think about the teams they've rolled out there over the last five years. Those are great baseball teams. So, so I'm really curious to see what they do going forward. They're in good shape. Just know you're our favorite phone call throughout the football season. I, I don't know what that it. personally means to you. No, no, it's great. To no. have the Auburn boys give you a ring on no, Wednesdays, no. but we look forward to it all the time. We it doesn't have, even have to be football. We, talk, <laughs> yeah, and we have not talked football, but, but listen, it's fun, and you ask good questions, and we have a good time, and uh, – I'm, I'm going to whisper this because we're still red, but I cannot say that about a lot of these folks. Yeah, so, all yeah. right. Yeah, so, yeah, I appreciate it. Y'all are, y'all are definitely high among the power I'm the one standing up. I'll pat myself. That's right. No, you're right ahead. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it, guys. That's Ryan McGee joining us here on Sports Call. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. This is Jake Crane, host of The J-Boy Show, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. All right, welcome back into the program. This is Sports Call WTGZ, Tiger 95.9 FM, and on the Tiger Communications app, J.J. Jackson hanging out with Brooks Childress, Ryan LaVoy, and Tom Peavy. Incredible conversations that we just had back-to-back right there. Two of the finest from ESPN and the SEC Network. You heard from Laura Rutledge and Ryan McGee talking all things football and sports in general. Those were amazing conversations. If you missed any of them, go back and listen to them on our podcast now, Presented by Coca-Cola. Exciting news for the show there. But, man, it's always fun to see Ryan McGee. And, uh, again, Laura Rutledge was great, too. It's fun to be able to – that's the purpose of these media days for our shows, to be able to connect with all these people. Oh, yeah, connect with folks. Like Ryan McGee, we get him on the show periodically. Uh, Wish we could have – he's the type of guy I wish we could have on, like, one day every week just to chit-chat with him. Uh, So it's always great to sit down with him. Uh, And he's just such a fun guy. you can just talk to him about anything, whether it be football, uh, NASCAR. We've talked minor league baseball with him. Just anything. He, he's just a, he's such a character that you just any kind of topic. It seems like he's got at least some sort of knowledge about. So always fun to have him on. I left my uh, Montgomery kimchi hat in Auburn. I meant to bring it this week to wear it on the day we got to talk to him, but I didn't know what day that was going to be, so I I, I went and left it in Auburn. That would have been a fun thing to talk about. We need to talk about minor league baseball. Should have brought my bananas hat. Yeah. He would have appreciated all of it, I'm sure. Absolutely. He would have appreciated all of it. Uh, Laura Rutledge was great yesterday as well when we spoke with her, and you heard it moments ago. Um, it's great to see her back at events like this and uh, does such a great job uh, talking about the sport and, and what Auburn could possibly be this year. And, again, kind of the narrative that, that Steve even brought up in his phone call a little bit earlier today, all of these folks are still kind of buying into to Brian Harson and what he could be for this Auburn Tigers program. And I appreciate that perspective because they're not in it 365 days a year like we are. Well, first, before we dive back into that, I'm just glad Reese's picks are coming back next year because she was on fire. But to, to, to that point, um, 
the the national media and more people that are in the national scene, I think they realize that Brian Harson only had one year. And as it was said, it was uh, it's been said several times in interviews that we've had. It wasn't an awful year. It was a, not a great finish, but you still had six wins on the year. You still made a bowl game in his first year. And I know that you know that that's going to get a lot of of blast back or whatever. But it's still if if you had a coach go you know six and six in their first year there, and they, it was they were putting in a whole new offense. If it wasn't, you know, if there was no off the off the field, you know, conundrum that happened over the off season, people would have been like, "All right, six and six, laid the groundwork, now get better." But because there was off season uh, just drama around the program, that's what has kind of thrown the 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 team into a tizzy. I, it was, I don't remember who said it in, in one of our interviews. Maybe it was uh, Tom. You said it yesterday, or uh, um, it was. Uh, Lindy, uh, our Lindy Magazine report, uh, or Lynn Scarborough. Lynn Scarborough, yeah, that said it yesterday. Bruce Pearl walked in there, and he had several years that it was just not great. Right. It, but uh, he got in there and started to show improvement. Started to get more guys talented, more talented guys in there, and. There was never no one has ever questioned should Bruce Pearl still be the the head basketball coach here. Butch Thompson came in, and there's been several years where it's like, what is happening with this baseball team? But no one has said, oh, it's time to get rid of Butch Thompson. It's because football is the sport. You know, I, I know everybody says, you know, you like to say, oh, Auburn's an everything school. Yes and no. We're not freaking out when you know the ex coach does you know has, has a bad season in their first year. We freak out when there's a football coach that has a bad season in their first year. And, it, and like I said, and it's been said, not even a horrific season. Six wins, not a bad season, especially against that schedule where you were so close. And it was the, the so close to one beating X team is what really threw that that second half of the season. You were so close to beating Mississippi State. You were so close to beating Penn State. You were so close to beating Alabama that it, it those those losses if. You turn those three losses into wins, nobody has any problem with Brian Harson, and this Auburn team is going, you know, sky high is, is what everybody's right. talking about this year. Because there was second-half struggles and because there was off-season drama, that's why there, there's uh, there's a lot of people in the fan base questioning it. And But it's only a second year. you got to give him a little bit of time. Yeah, uh, Auburn football is always going to be under the, the biggest microscope of microscopes. I mean, that's what everybody's going to be looking at. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can make those comparisons. I, I have made that comparison with Bruce Pearl. I, the same comparison with with uh, Butch Thompson. Uh, I, you know, I, I think the only issue, the only difference, I guess, there is that when Bruce Pearl got hired, everybody was on board. I think when Butch Thompson got hired, just because of his past, it felt like everybody was on board. Just hiring Brian Harson, I don't think. Many people—I shouldn't say many people were on board. There were a lot of people that were not on board because of various reasons. Whether he—he's just not a—he's not an Auburn guy. He's not a Southern guy. It was not uh, somebody that obviously the big name guy like Bruce Pearl was coming in. So there was already people that were looking for the any little thing that they could possibly find on Brian Harson to dog on him. 
and there for a little bit he was not giving them the ammunition. Then that season kind of went apart. The, the the first recruiting cycle didn't go well. This recruiting cycle's not going well. Then you had that all kind of added up together with the uh, the quote-unquote investigation or whatever was going on behind the scenes there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of that, the comparisons could be made on giving time, but you know, there's just so many people that were already anti Brian Harson because he's not one of the boys. He's not, he's not the good old boy from down south that has all this experience in the Southeastern Conference. He's just some old Yankee from up in Idaho that has been picking potatoes and coaching some football. He don't know anything about the life of football down here in the Southeast. People gonna have to get over that because not every coach that you get is gonna be that good old Southern boy. I'm gonna say we we mentioned it yesterday. The three when we were talking about LSU, the three coaches that have had success out of their four coaches, three of their four coaches that have had success in the last four coaches have all been Midwest guys that had sure. no SEC experience. Well, I mean Nick Nick Saban is an Ohio guy, and he and he got started coaching at Michigan State, and then. Uh, came down to to uh, LSU and did things there but you know he he's he's an Ohio guy LSU just hired, hired a guy that's been at Notre Dame um, you look at a guy like Urban Meyer uh, was a, a up there in the Ohio area doing all that he had great success so went to Utah sure out, out to Utah before he came to the southeast so yeah, I mean, you, you've got to understand that that sometimes your your better coaches aren't going to necessarily be these homegrown guys, and I, and so for that sense, you have to be able to give them a chance. But it just it, uh, man, Auburn fans they're just so difficult to please. That's that's just the thing. Because when we were looking at getting rid of Gus Malzahn, that one of the biggest things that you heard so many people saying is, we've got to get away from this inside thing, this good old boy network. We've got to get away from this. We've got to get an outsider. We've got to get somebody with no ties to Auburn because that, all we keep doing are hiring retread coordinators. It, that just feels like what we've always you know, been doing over the last several years are these retread coordinators. And we got to quit doing that. We need an outsider. Well, you got an outsider. You got a guy that's about as outsider as you could possibly get. Right. The, the guy is the the guy likes open wheel race car racing instead of NASCAR. I'm sure he likes NASCAR, but he's an open wheel guy. He's an IndyCar guy. That that's about as like not Auburn and not <laughs> state of Alabama as you could possibly get. When you're like, hey, you like race cars? Yeah, I do. I like IndyCar. It's like, oh, you ain't from around here. <laughs> I mean, so but you got your outsider. So there you go. And he even tried to you know set himself up by hiring guys that had SEC experience, and that kind of backfired on with some of his coordinators. And now you know we talked about it uh, with Laura. Now he's got guys in there that he's comfortable with he's got his guys in there these are the ride or die guys that it and it you know the way this the way everybody is talking that's how the season is going to go and but now to that point and now i know he he makes the final say so i mean you have to and if he's not then there's more screwed up stuff going on behind the scenes than i could ever even imagine i i'm still I, I still feel like that he was kind of pushed into the direction of some of these guys. Again, he has to make the final decision, but but I think there were some people that were pushing him to get some of these Southeastern guys. You know, you you know, you you can't get all your guys from Boise. You need to get some of these guys. You need to get a Mike Bobo. You need to get you know somebody from here, somebody from there to get that Southeast experience. And I think that made him not comfortable with some of those guys because he's just not familiar with them. 
no, I could be dead wrong. That could have been his choice. That uh, hey, in his head, I've got to get some guys that have this experience. So it could have been on him. Either way, a lot of those didn't work out for whatever reasons. And now he's got some guys in there that I think he is a little more comfortable with, and we'll see what happens with it. But uh, you know, they, there's a lot's going to have to change, uh, and and very quickly. Because uh, I, I keep bringing up recruiting cycles because that's one of the big things. If you look at any of the message boards right now, Auburn fans are in a panic because, they're, yes, they're getting some recruits, but they're losing out on a lot. And, I mean, it's looking like they may even lose out on a kid whose name is Auburn. His name is literally Auburn. And family grew up – our family is Auburn uh, alums. He's grown up an Auburn fan, and now it's looking like he might be going to Florida State. And so those are the types of things that are not doing any favors for the fans jumping on board with him. When you you can't even get the quarterback that grew up an Auburn fan and is named Auburn. You can't even get that kid. That That's where the fans – that's where I say things are going to have to change. Some of these blue chippers are going to have to start winning some of these battles to give some people some hope because that's what Bruce Pearl did. He brought in these blue chippers and people were like, hey, yeah, we might not be doing so great right now, but goodness gracious, do you see the guys that he's bringing in? Same thing with Butch Thompson. Hey, we give him a little bit of time because, man, did you see the talent that the kids bring or the guys bringing in? Harsh has got to start doing that where across that board people can look at that and have some hope moving forward instead of it just feels like we're just kind of spinning our wheels right now. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, Harson had some directives uh, to fulfill uh, from the board. Because I mean, like, what what is out of bounds for this board to do? I mean, like, what, 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 what or, or for these boosters in particular? Because you know, we we now know in hindsight that there was a lot of uh, pulling strings while Gus Malzahn was here, even yep. you know, and so behind his back. And so, yeah, no, that wouldn't surprise me if one of the stipulations to getting this job. To, for them approving the hires, like, hey, we need you to hire either this guy or we need to hire someone that meets these qualifications. Right. I don't think that's wild to, to think that that would happen. And, and you know, that could also be why, like, if you're trying to connect dots here, and maybe I'm just going taking this and running way too far with it, but if you're connecting some dots, once he makes these, some of these coaching changes, now all of a sudden a, a scandal tries to come out that we think, uh, you know, a coup tried to happen. Why do you think that happened because he probably went against their wishes and started hiring is just promoting his own guys or suggesting his own guys should get this um you know get these coordinating positions and so you know none of this would be unfortunately all that shocking it's very disturbing and disappointing but you know i mean like remember the article before gus malzahn was hired Auburn was on the cusp of hiring Kirby Smart. And yep. one of the reasons they didn't get him, because Kirby wanted control of his staff, which is a reasonable expectation for a head coach in the yeah. SEC. Yeah. And he said, well, well, wait, I don't have full autonomy on my staff? Well, then, no, I'm not doing this. So, this is that's very much within the reach of what yep. Auburn's board and what their boosters have done in the past. It's one of those things, we could sit here and talk about ridiculousness when it comes to the powers of being all, but when it's Auburn, it feels like there's nothing that is too ridiculous that is nope. out of the realm of possibilities where you're just like, okay, well, that's just completely stupid. Not gonna... Well, guess what? The, these are the same people that boarded a jet and tried to go hire a coach when you still had a coach that you had not even fired back in the Tommy Tuberville days. So, yes, I don't put anything past the people that are behind closed doors that are wheeling and dealing and making things happen.
What a day it's been, and uh, what a fun week it's been here at SEC Media Days. And the best part of this, this incredible Brian Harson discussion, he hasn't even spoke yet. It isn't even Auburn's turn <laughs> yet to take the podium here at SEC Media Days. We had great conversation with John McDade, the SEC coordinator of officials, with some big rule change news to let you know about. Also coming up, Jim Nagy is the executive director of the Reese Senior Bowl. Those conversations are coming your way in the third and final hour of Sports Call. Again, it's J.J. Jackson alongside Brooks Childress, Ryan LaVoy, and Tom Peavy. It's been a fun show so far, Brooks. we got to keep this up. Are you in good spirits? I'm great spirits. You promise? I feel doubted, so maybe not. All right. We're going to be great, and that's what we're going to do in the next hour. We have finished the first two hours of Sports Call. We're rolling. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call getting started right now on WTGZ Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson alongside Ryan the Voidbrooks Childress and Tom Peavy. We are live from SEC Media Days. It's Radio Row at the College Football Hall of Fame. And what a fun first two days it has been. Two days left to go. And Brooks, uh, we've actually had a lot of fun today. Been busy. A lot of interviews already in the show with a couple of left to go. Uh, busy is the understatement of the, of the week so far. I mean, it is just uh, go, go, go. You know, if it's not going and listening to a coach speak down the main media room, it's we got an interview coming in five minutes and or, hey, we've got an interview in half an hour, but we got to get this other interview cut up and sent back to the station to get ready to play on the on the show. It's just there's so many moving parts to SEC Media Days. It's chaos. And it is only, what, day two of being up here. And we're already, both, all three of us, and Tom included, are already tired, whipped. Um, and it, I'm just looking forward to that bed tonight to lie, lay my head. Because full disclosure, you know, you, you go to a hotel. Yeah. Usually your first night not sleeping too well. Right. Second night last night for me, didn't sleep that well. I will be shocked if I don't sleep well tonight how tired I am. Tonight's going to be the night. Tonight may be the night that we just knock out where yeah. it's gone. We got a little fun media festivity for us a little bit later this evening. And then, uh, yeah, we'll be hitting the hay pretty early, I reckon. I'm going to say, I hope there's coffee there. Yeah. We've got the All-Star game coming up tonight right. as well. Gotta stay up for that. So many Braves players are in the event. It's crazy. It's hard to keep up with them all. I mean, one, the entire Braves coaching staff is there because right. they were the National League champions Which last year. Which is great. Year. Um, they were also the World Series champions last year. Uh, and then also a lot of Braves getting in, uh, a few pitchers getting in, but then also a lot of Braves getting voted in. Ronald Acuna Jr. leading off for the National League tonight. Uh, William Contreras is batting next to his brother, Wilson Contreras, which is just a phenomenal story. 
in and of itself and uh, you just keep getting you know there, there's been a couple more additions to the to the lineup in the National League because of other guys dropping out I mean, was, we, the most recent one was uh, Austin Riley getting added after last week you know a lot of people were upset that he didn't get in and it's like well you know it is a fan vote yeah but then dropped uh, a player dropped out was it Arenado dropped out got hurt got yeah hurt and so it, it got Austin Riley into the game so much deserved to be there as he's been playing of late but a lot of Atlanta Braves in there a lot of a uh, lot of Braves representation on the National yeah. League side of things and even you know Freddie Freeman former Atlanta Brave getting added uh, over the weekend and then you know oftentimes we mention this but Ryan LaVoy is the smartest among us and it was wise for him to point out last week when you talk about okay why is Austin Riley not an all-star for tonight's event keep in mind Major League Baseball has it set up to where every team has to have an all-star representative yeah and so when that's the case some nobodies sorry you're an all-star you're not you shouldn't be called a nobody but in the grand scheme of things that's going to take away roster spots at certain positions yeah and, and you get random random players get in there. But I, I say they're random players. They're from random teams that get in there that you don't wouldn't think in an all-star. But they're good players. They're yeah. objectively good players. They're the best on their team. But do they, you know, do they deserve, deserve whatever other guys yeah. know? And, look, I mean, when you do it like that, you're going to have some snubs. Um, fortunately, you know, I think the process kind of evens out in the end a little bit when you get all the injuries and the guys that – um, don't end up playing, which, of course, that part of it is not fortunate. Um, but but you, you get a guy like Austin Riley who is now in, a guy like Freddie Freeman who is now in. And those guys that end up missing the All-Star game, again, it, the way Major League Baseball does it, I know it's talked about some in the NBA. I don't think it's even a metric really at all in the NFL Pro Bowls. It's not a legacy-defining uh, characteristic, not a legacy-defining stat. It's not something that, oh, that guy was only a three-time All-Star. It's more like, oh, that guy was only a three-time All-Star? How? He's so good. You know, it, it's actually more more of like, oh, wow, it ends up being a, a much lower number than it should be. It's not actually a part of you factoring in how good someone was. So we, we talked about the couple of Braves guys that did win uh, MVPs that – uh, we're not all stars, so I think Austin Riley can get in that mix for sure. It's just a part of it, but uh, I'm excited to to watch it tonight. It's going to be fun, and we're hopeful that the Braves players do well when they get the opportunity to play, and uh, we'll have our eyes on Ronald Acuna Jr. for sure. After, unfortunately, he did not uh, win the home run derby last night. That was Juan Soto who got it done. Pete Alonso going for the three-peat came up just a bit short. Yeah, and uh, one thing that you've got, you know, everyone everyone starts to worry about this, and I'm, I'm going to be the one to bring it up, but you really, really hope that Acuna didn't mess up his swing trying at the Home Run Derby. I know everybody talks about that when you go to the Home Run Derby, is, or is this going to mess up the guy's swing for a little bit? And we've seen examples of it in, uh, in a few years where guys go to the Home Run Derby, they're just trying to swing for home runs, and then you go back to playing, and it, it kind of messes with their swing a little bit. They take a few days to get back into the swing of things, um, and I don't, you know, the thing that Acuna, uh, you know, went out in the first round, I don't think there's that big of a a uh, 
worry that that could happen, but it's still something that could be on your mind once you start uh, second half play this Friday. It's not something I'm worried about with Ronald in particular. I think it's very valid in other players' cases that have big first halves, but Ronald Kenyon Jr. did not have a big first half. Like, Let's be honest here. Ronald is one of the guys that got in because of the fans, not because of his play. He didn't have an all-star worthy first half. He would, heck, he missed, missed the first month and a half. I mean, it, not even if he had done that um, for the whole time. So, you know, I, I think that you, that with a guy that's hit 20 or 25 home runs or had a big first half, I can recall that there's plenty of instances of guys having poor second half after doing the Derby. I think one of the most famous was like Bobby Abreu, who had like 20 or 22 home runs at an all-star break and hit two in the second half despite playing the whole time. So uh, there are definitely cases, but I don't think Ronald, to be honest, has had a, a robust enough first half to – quote ruined anything and also if you look at his performance uh, a lot of people are talking about they, they were throwing sliders at him and you know he was hitting them to the opposite field I mean like 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 not he didn't pull a bunch of his home runs and so um, I, you know I, I think that that is very fair to, to worry about with a lot of the guys but I think Ronald's case in particular only hitting about 270 only got seven or eight home runs so far this year I, I don't think it would affect his play. Let's do this. As we get set for the All-Star Game tonight, as we get set for a couple of more conversations here on Sports Call today, we do it each and every day. Let's make sure we celebrate some birthdays. It's time for today's Birthdays in Sports. All right, Birthdays in Sports here today, July 19th. Tuesday, July 19th it is. LaMarcus Aldridge, he's turning 37 years old today with the Brooklyn Nets. Second overall pick in the 06 NBA draft to the Chicago Bulls out of Texas. Seven-time All-Star. Happy 37th birthday to LaMarcus Aldridge. Jan Gomes is turning 35. Current MLB catcher for the Chicago Cubs. Made his MLB debut back in 2012 for the Toronto Blue Jays. A one-time All-Star, a World Series champion with the Nationals in 2019. Also has a silver slugger on his mantle. Jan Gomes is turning 35. can't believe he's already 35. Leroy Butler is 54, the former NFL strong safety, drafted in the second round in the 1990 NFL draft to the Green Bay Packers out of Florida State. Super Bowl 31 champion, four-time first-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler, NFL 1990s All-Decade team, Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame. Leroy Butler is 54 years young today. And then finally, Trent Williams. Trent Williams is a current NFL offensive tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. Drafted fourth overall in the 2010 NFL draft by the Washington Redskins out of Oklahoma. Boomer. Nine-time Pro Bowler Trent Williams, 34 years old. A look at our birthdays in sports here today on July 19th. LaMarcus Aldridge, 37. Jan Gomes, 35. Leroy Butler, 54. And Trent Williams, 34. There's a look at our birthdays in sports. All right, let's go to our next commercial break here on the program. When we come back, Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese Senior Bowl, joins us right here on Sports Call. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. 
I'm Sammy Coates, former Auburn football player and all SEC wide receiver, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call here live on Tiger 95.9 FM. JJ Jackson and Ryan LaVoy at SEC Media Days Radio Row here 2022, getting set for the upcoming college football season. And who better to chat with than our good pal Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese Senior Bowl, here with us. Jim, it's always a pleasure to see you. And Absolutely. here we are at the College Football Hall of Fame. Pretty fun place to pretty, be at. Pretty cool, man. <laughs> like, I've never, I've never been here before. I'm ashamed to say that. But uh, been in the Pro Football Hall Hall of Fame a few times. I used to live up in Ohio when I was scouting for the Patriots, but never been here. This is this is incredible. And we're right by the Iron Bowl. I mean, it's just yeah, they, they, they got us in a good setup. I got here. you. Yeah, and I mean, you say Iron Bowl. I, I'm looking at the Michigan Ohio State <laughs> yeah. one. That's 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 my. I went to Michigan. So. Yeah. Good rivalry um, section is where we're located. Yeah, it's really cool. So as we get set for uh, this upcoming season, of course, and, and looking back at the year that was, got a chance to be at the Senior Bowl and broadcast live from there, and what a fun event it was. And uh, I think Roger McCreary made a lot of folks happy for the Auburn Tigers. He did. He did. He made a lot of money, too. He, yeah. did, <laughs> he, did, an, he did an awesome job. Um, you know, and he was – he. he I don't know if he was 100% or not. I mean, he came to me before the first practice complaining about his foot. I'm like, man, just go out and test it. And uh, he had a really good first day of practice. And I went up, he broke up a ton of balls that first day. And I was like, man, I think your foot feels all right. <laughs> uh, no, I was really happy for him. You know, I, I'm really happy where he ended up. So we had, a, we had a draft party for all our Mobile guys. So we had crazy stat. We had six Mobile kids drafted in the first 126 picks in the draft this wow. year, which is an insane number for a city the size of Mobile, Alabama. Four of them four of them played in the Senior Bowl. The other two were juniors. Um, but we had a big draft party for those guys, Roger being one of them. And when we left that night, I mean, there was an outside chance. I told him at the beginning of the night, like, there's a slim chance you could get taken tonight. And we, we were hoping, because we, uh, we had a live link with the NFL Network. They were going to go live for Mobile if, if he got picked. Um, but when he left, I'm like, man, you're not gonna you're not gonna be waiting long tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, so to see Tennessee take him, um, and now like talking to the guys up at the Titans, I guess he had an unbelievable spring. Um, so it wouldn't shock me at all if he's if he's lining up there as a starter week one. And I know the goal is to showcase all all the seniors around the country. But does it just mean just a little bit more when it is a, a local guy like that? Obviously, we always talk about the Auburn Alabama guys um, coming down there, but but be someone that gets to actually showcase what he's learned in his time away from high school and showcase his time from college and be able to get ready for the draft in Mobile. A guy like that, I, I take it, means just a, maybe a little bit more. No doubt, no doubt. Um, but that has been a shift um, from where we're at. When I interviewed for the job, I, I basically, you know, my thing was we need to make this a draft event. Um, and we'd gotten to the point where, I mean, if you were a pretty good player at Bama or Auburn or from the area, you were going to get an invite and I just, I said, it can't be that way. Like, if we're gonna, if we're gonna, you know, move forward with this thing and get better, like, this has to be the a draft event. So, um, we'll never force a guy from any of those schools or our area into the game. But if it, if it, if they deserve it, we want them in for sure. And it was like this year was awesome having four mobile guys, um, and Roger being yeah. one of them, and then another guy, Jalen Tolbert was kind of a, a double home run for us too because he's from Mobile and played at South Alabama. Um, you know, he went in the third round of the Dallas Cowboys. So, no, it, 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 mean, it does mean more. At, at this point in the process, Jim, obviously we're here at SC Media Days. There's going to be a lot of guys that you're going to evaluate 
from the Southeastern Conference. But at this point, do you have a number in mind of people that you are evaluating going into next year? Is there any kind of like – I know guys can be late risers as well, um, so it, it can the numbers can change. But is there any kind of thought process at this point on, on looking at guys? No, we never put a number on it because every year is going to be different. Um, I don't think you can just come up with a set number. So it's it fluctuates. I know uh, – I don't know where we're at yet because we're not we're not totally done getting through all the small school stuff yet. But uh, first three years, that number going into the fall was around 500. Um, last year, because of COVID and all those guys coming back and exercising that extra year, it was around 700. So it was a big swell, um, and it really affected our numbers on day three. It wasn't like so much the high guys in the draft; it was more like those day three picks. Um, but this year, I would think we'll probably be closer to that 500 number. I think last year was a little bit of an anomaly with, with the COVID stuff, but that's where we'll be at probably. As you take a look at this upcoming season and, and talking about the Auburn Tigers in particular, Roger McCreary uh, at the event this past season, you've had other Mobile guys from Auburn. Someone like Deshaun Davis comes to mind and what he yeah. was able to do at the Senior Bowl 2022 what are the Auburn Tigers looking like? Or, or maybe not this year. Are there any um, sophomores or juniors possibly that – that uh, seem appealing to you? Yeah, right off the top of my head, I'm going Derek Hall and Owen Papo would probably be the top two. Um, but we got our eyes on a lot of these guys. Yeah. You know, there, there's a rumor out there that Colby Wooden's going to graduate before December. So uh, <laughs> we'll keep an eye on him too because we can bring the juniors now if they graduate. And again, I, don't, I hope he stays in. Like, I hope all these guys exhaust their eligibility and, and get their degrees. I mean, that's, that's important. But we also have to be ready if they do come out. Um, so we'll be monitoring that, but but yeah, I would say that I would say those two guys. But but again, there's some other guys. I'm I'm scrolling through this depth chart right now, guys, and there's there's some good players. Yeah, I mean there there's good players, and they're always. I mean, I would say Tank Bigsby. Everyone assumes will leave um, just because of the nature of that position. And bringing it back to like coaches, college coaches, that's really the one spot where they understand it. There's just the toll that that position takes on a guy. Um, I think most coaches understand if a guy's ready to come out as a junior, he should come out. Um, but yeah, there's a it's a senior heavy offensive line. I mean, you look, I'm looking at the offensive line group right now. I mean, there's a, no a, ton, a ton of seniors, so that's a good thing. And we'll we'll look for some guys to elevate out of that group. Let me ask you about another guy. What about Anders Carlson? And yeah. you look at the kicking position, legacy specialist guy. <laughs> in particular, right? His brother's doing. I mean, what amazing season he had this past year for the Vegas Raiders. How? I mean, it just feels like it's pretty simple when you look at a kicker. Are they making field goals or are they missing them? But what else kind of goes into that? And is there anything about Anders Carlson that stands out to you? Yeah, we had Daniel in the game. That was, um, gosh, was that my first year working at the game? Or was it my last year in the league? I can't remember. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I don't think if you asked any scout in the NFL what he likes to do the least, and he'll probably tell you scout specialists. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, and it's because it's hard. I mean, look, Daniel Carlson went in whatever it was, the fourth or fifth round, and he goes to Minnesota and doesn't work out. And now he's landed in Vegas, and now he's one of the best kickers in the league. So it's just a really hard those, – those positions are really hard to peg. But, yeah, Andres will be up there. He's coming off the injury, right? Right. Um, and so, yeah, he will definitely be in the mix. I know he's, one of the, he's been one of the best in college football for the last few years. So, yeah, we'll, we'll – uh, 
Love to have legacy guys in the game, too. We mentioned Derek Hall, Colby Wooden, and, and then there have been a lot of NFL draft guys on that defensive line over the last six, seven years from Auburn. I know Alabama gets a lot of the love for, for their defensive front. What has it been about Auburn that they've been able to have such quality defensive line prospects? Well, I think you got to go back to Rodney Gardner for all those years, yeah. too. Um, Coach Gardner did a great job developing those guys. I know we had Marlon Davidson in the game, and I'm trying to wreck my brain who else we, we had from up there. But... Um, yeah, I mean, they get they get good players on the front. Um, they've done a really nice job in the D-line. They always have pass rushers. Um, that's why a guy like Derek Hall, I mean, he's he's an intriguing guy. You just go back with the with the D-Fords and the Carl Lawsons. I mean, I mean, they've, 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 there's, there's something about, like, when a school can crank out a track record at a certain position, and those guys up front for Auburn have certainly done that. Um, so, yeah, we're, we'll always be looking at that group. No, Derek Brown was a top 10 pick as well on the yeah, front there. And yeah, and we, you know, God, that was the year. <laughs> that was my first year, I think, maybe my second year. And we had him and we had uh, Roquan, uh, Raquan Davis from Alabama in that group and Javon Kinlaw from that, in that group, and they were all, like, bunched up. But I remember talking to Derek about um, him coming to play in the game. And, again, I'm not an idiot. Like, I mean, uh, my wife and my kids would probably say I'm an idiot. But, um <laughs> I try not to be an idiot, but like if, and I've told all the agents, like if your guy's the number one rated guy at his position and he doesn't have a whole lot to gain by coming and playing the senior bowl, like I get, get it. it. Yeah. I get it. Like I'm not, I'm not, um, I don't want to be that guy. So um, I remember talking to Derek about it. Like going into the year, I thought it would make sense for him because those three guys were really like bunched in. But by the end of that year, like Derek had a phenomenal senior season. I mean, he they, he's he's like a poster boy from the Auburn program for why you come back and play your senior year because he flashed as a junior and he had all that talent in his body, but he was a different player as a senior. So no, I, I remember talking to Derek about it and just wishing him good luck and yeah. like, hey man, like <laughs> we would have loved to have you down here. And then his agent Drew Rosenhaus called and like. Hey, can I bring Derek down to the senior bowl? I'm like, no, no, you can't. Like we, this, this week is about the guys that play in the actual game. No, you, you can't bring him. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I got one more guy to talk about again. Jim Nagy here with us, the executive director of the Reese Senior Bowl. Uh, no longer an Auburn Tiger, but a lot of people at the quarterback position. Bo Nix is someone uh, that gets a lot of mention in that sort of thing. When you look at Bo going into the season, mm-hmm. what are the chances that he's got a career uh, beyond college football, what does that look like? Yeah, he definitely does. No, Bo's talented now. I know that he's he's taken a lot of blame from the Auburn fan base, at least from what I've seen from the outside looking in. I don't live up around Auburn, yeah. but just on social media and whatnot, it seems like he's taken a lot of lot of criticism. Um, but when you look at the physical talent of the player, I mean, he's one of the best. He's going to be one of the top guys in this draft, and that's that's coming from my friends in the NFL as well. They feel the same way. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that transition goes out in the Pac-12. I think he's going to rip it up out there. I mean, you always worry about a, a new system for a guy and him learning new teammates and all that, all that stuff. But, um, you know, just the athlete, the ability to run around, extend plays, the ad-lib stuff. I mean, some of those plays in the LSU game last year were, I mean, really like iconic type plays in Auburn history. I mean, some of those run-around plays were incredible. Um, so, I mean, I hope it works out. I hope, I hope the, the move is a good one for him. Um, you know, sometimes a change change of scenery is what a player needs, and sometimes it's good for the school too. Sometimes the school can move on and and find that find a new player. So uh, I just hope it works out for all parties. But he is he does have NFL talent. There's no doubt. Jim, when you're not watching football or talking about football, what is Jim Nagy doing? Uh, <laughs> I, I try to golf. Okay. Um, in the NFL, it was hard because when you're on the road 200 nights a year. 
it was hard to come home and tell my wife like, Hey honey, I'm going to go on the golf course for five hours and with two little kids. Um, but now with this job, I do have, um, there's a little like, enter- we have local sponsors, right? You yeah. Gotta, you got to go out and golf with the sponsors. No so, uh, no, I do like to golf. I'm not, I'm not any good, but I do like to play. As you get set for the next few weeks, months leading up to the college football uh, season, what, what does it look like for your role there with the Reese Senior Bowl? Well, uh, we got some staffing issues. Uh, we spoke off air a little bit. I'm losing one of my scouting assistants to Auburn football. Um, that has, hasn't even been announced yet, <laughs> but he's on his way up there uh, with Drew Fabianich, who's going to be the GM of Auburn football, a good friend of mine. Uh, it's going over, over to your place from the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, great scout, longtime scout, going to bring a ton of expertise to, to that football team. Um, so we've got some scouting assistant positions open. We've got some uh, area scout positions open. You know, we kind of staff it every year with former NFL scouts. Sure. And we re- I reshuffle the deck every year. So like last year, we had 120 years of experience on the staff. This year, it'll be more than that. We've got uh, we've got a couple guys that are really senior scouts. Um, so it'll be good. We, we got some of that to tackle, but uh, it's cool being here, and, and it feels like it's right around the corner. Jim, thanks for being here and spending some time with us on the radio show today. Good to see you. Yeah, fellas, thank you. That's Jim Nagy joining us on Sports Call. All of the biggest names in the sports world want to be on Sports Call. We are very excited to be joined by ESPN's Adam Amin. Bring on a very special guest, a good friend of the program, a former host of this very show, and the current voice of the Auburn Tigers, the one and only Andy Burcham. We get the opportunity to welcome in Mr. Phil Steele into our program. Be sure to listen to our conversations with athletes, coaches, and media personalities on the Sports Call podcast. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into Sports Call, Tiger 95.9 FM, and on the Tiger Communications app, J.J. Jackson and Ryan LaVoy here with you live from Radio Row at SCC Media Days. And, Man, we're thrilled to now be chatting with John McDade, the SEC Coordinator of Officials. John, how are you? I'm doing fine, JJ. How are you? I'm Ryan? very well. Very well. Thanks for asking. Doing well as well. And, and John, we got up early with you, as we said, uh, and uh, we've seen your presentation last year and this year. And uh, first and foremost, just for the listener to kind of recap some of what you talked about before we get into rule, rule change, uh, it seemed like the SEC was on par with the national average and a lot of uh, things as far as pace of play and penalties thrown and that sort of thing. So just talk about what you liked uh, about your group of officials this past year. Yeah, I, I, I like the consistency we're bringing to, to a lot of it. There's still some areas that we need to, to, to be that much better. And, of course, we want to improve year, year over year. You know, we, we don't want to be just as good as we were last year. We want to be that much better. But um, now going – just finished my third off season. Um, in this role going into the third season and familiarity has been established between myself and, and, and the officiating roster, the officiating roster to myself, what we're, what we're all about, what we're looking for, the culture we want, et cetera, et cetera. So things are going on fairly well. And you're right, the, some of the metrics I brought using the NCAA statistics for the football bowl subdivision, um, we're, like, we're like right in the middle um, you know, on, on the averages or, or meeting the, what the averages are for things like game time, a number of plays per game, scoring, fouls thrown, targetings per game, replay stops per game, um, and average review time for each replay review. 
And, and so along with that, I mean, I know that uh, safety is always an issue that you worry about in pace of play, and that's one of the reasons a, a year or two ago the overtime rule changed. Uh, what other measures, and I guess we have a rule change to talk about as well along these lines, uh, but, but what interests you most about player safety right now? Um, yeah, it, it, I guess what interests me the most is that we're very mindful of it, right? It is, um, you know, the rule book is basically set up in, um, in, in basically three or four different ways. Uh, one of them is just the balance of the game. It establishes the rules on how the offense and defense compete against each other and make sure there's equity between the two of them, right? But then there's also um, personal fouls, uh, which are all safety-related. Um, there's 17 different personal fouls in Rule 9, and they're all in there for, for safety reasons. And then the, the third area is, is just beha- behavior in the game, uh, things related to unsportsmanlike conduct. Those are basically all the fouls can be put usually in one of those three buckets. So for personal fouls, um, you know, we, we have to be right. You know, when we have, it's a 15-yard penalty. It's an automatic first down if it's, it's by the defense. We, we have to be right. But it, it, it's necessary, and it's, it's good for the game that we're mindful of making sure that what we define as personal fouls is in line with doing the best we possibly can to keep the player out of harm's way. We talk about rule changes going into this 2022 season. Uh, one of the ones that you brought to light this morning here at SEC Media Days uh, was blocking below the waist. Tell, this is a listening audience. You had the PowerPoint presentation a little bit earlier today for us. Now we've got to describe that on radio. So, JJ, you're saying this, I, I could wave my hands all over <laughs> It's not going to do anything for our audience? <laughs> yeah, uh, blocking below the waist, there is a rule change this year. It's about as significant of a rule change as we've seen in three or four years when it comes to the actual playing of the sure. game, how it's coached, how it's played. Simply put, you can no longer legally block below the waist outside of the tackle box. So if you think of different scenarios of the game, um, a interior lineman going to the second level trying to block a linebacker has to be at the waist or above. We have a stretch play, sweep play, a screen pass that's outside of the tackle box. Any blocks outside the tackle box need to be at the waist or higher. And then on the defensive side of the ball, when we have those sweep plays and screen plays, um, we have a pulling lineman uh, a lot of times, the first defender uh, will come in and cut that lineman to take that lead block out. That, that that block now needs to be at the waist or higher. What is the protocol that goes into, okay, a rule change takes place. Now we've got to communicate the rule change to the officials and also tell them how to communicate to fans in the stadium and the television audience what exactly that penalty was. Like, here we are talking the rule change of blocking and that sort of thing. The TV viewer, how do you let them know that this flag or this penalty was just created? Well, it starts with the, the rules committee meeting is in, in winter. Um, uh, this week was this year was in the, I believe the first week of March, and they're factoring if it's if it's a safety related, if it's, right. if it's a personal foul, they're bringing in uh, medical data. Um, they're bringing in uh, data from teams on on injury rates and whatnot. I know that the um, the NCAA worked with the NFL for injury data related to blocking by the ways because the NFL made a, a rule change prior to their 21 season, and so they had a season's worth of data to bring in about how their rule change. Um, uh, affected for the better. It was a positive change when it came to injuries. They're also looking at competitive balance, going back to what I was talking about earlier. If we make this rule change, what kind of balance do we have? What does it do to the competitive balance between the offense and defense? And then also to the, um, you know, I'll call it the good of the game. I mean, how does it affect the product that we observe, you know, as fans of the game? You know, does it, does it still meet the spirit of the game and keep the moment, you know, flow and, and, and whatnot? Once they... Uh, they convince themselves it is good for the game. Um, they make a proposal and it goes to the playing rules 
uh, oversight panel um, who vote on whether to adopt or not. And um, at that point in time, we get to the second part of your question is how, how do we educate? Um, I created a voiceover tape of all the new playing rule changes for our head coaches and for our officials back in April. Uh-huh. It was about 47 minutes long. And it was for the purposes of, for our officials, understanding how we're going to interpret these new rules, the frameworks of judgment we're going to use to to apply the rules, and then have the coaches hear what I'm saying to my officials so they understand how we're officiating the game. And then, here we are in Atlanta, using media days to talk to individuals like yourselves um, and your audience yeah. to understand our ideas, the rule changes, um, um, and make doing our best to socialize it for people to understand. And I suspect um, in the first few weeks of the season, you're watching a television broadcast for games, you're going to see graphics up there talking about the new block and below, the, the, you know, the, 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 way, the waste rule, just to remind people of, that we do have a rule change. And, and obviously, John, when we look at um, what we saw this morning in, in the presentation, there's one penalty on people's minds pretty constantly. There's one penalty singled out in the PowerPoint on targeting um, that we see it now about one in every five games or so uh, in the FBS or in, in NCAA football. And we do have kind of a procedural change here with uh, talk to our audience about what will happen now if there is a second half uh, targeting penalty called. Yeah. You know, yeah, we, I think the, ex- I'll use the word acceptance. The acceptance of targeting today is in a pretty good place to save one aspect of it. And that aspect of is if it's a second half targeting, we're going to have a carryover disqualification for the first half of, <clears throat> of that player. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, what we've added is if the targeting, if, in post-game, a video shows that the targeting that was uh, called and upheld in, in replay is clearly wrong that there is a post-game appeal process to remove that disqualification. So it only addresses that aspect of the penalty, and that is the carryover first-half disqualification for, for that player. Has that been something that, uh, you know, I don't know how much you listen to external noise like like what the fans have to say, but, like, is that something that has weighed a little bit heavier? Because that is one of the newer rules in college football. It's just the concept of targeting. It was not around, uh, say, a decade-plus ago. Um, has that been something that you've kind of looked at more particular at trying to tweak? And, and as you said, you, you feel it's in a good place now. But, like, I, I just wonder, like, how much kind of external noise even factors in at all to, to taking a closer look at something. I, you know, this is where I'll say, and I'll remind that uh, my job is to apply the rules, not to make the rules. Sure. Right. And um, what hasn't happened over the last two, three, five years is changed the definition of what targeting is or the, the, the frameworks of judgments we're using to evaluate the targeting when it when it goes in the replay it's it's all of that 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 public um uh fixation is on the penalty right and in particular the disqualification there's not many penalties in the, in the rule book that carry a disqualification and, and, and a disqualification that potentially go over to the second half uh the first half of the next game I, that's not my pay grade to decide whether that penalty is fits but i will say um Penalties are there for deterrence, right? And uh, of all the things that we have for safety issues, targeting, the use of the helmet, the use of the crown on the helmet, and how it can be associated with putting a, a player into a position of getting catastrophic area uh, injury, 
it stands to reason we want to have our largest deterrence on something like that. We saw last year at SEC Media Days, getting to hear from you take the podium for the first time and talking about rule changes uh, in college football, the big one being that overtime rule change that after the first two overtimes, here we are, we're going to the two-point conversions. How was that received this year from what you're hearing? In, in, our, in our conference, it was received well. It really didn't play out um, in uh, like the game that happened in the yeah. Big Ten, right? Um, Obviously, the, the feedback on the Big Ten game was, was a little bit uh, different. Again, another playing rule change. Not, they, they didn't make that change because they thought that this overtime format was going to be better, right? It was going to create more interest right. in the game. It created for safety reasons. And um, so while there was a lot of talk about the nine overtime game, and the fact we went to nine overtimes and we have uh, uh, seven of those overtime periods just going, you know, starting at two-point conversions, um, the, the, the fact remains, it, it cuts down on the overall number of plays that the players are going through, and therefore it's a safer game because of it. So I don't see, I, I don't know that there was much discussion. Um, I wasn't in the room during the rules committee's meeting, but I don't know that there's been much, there was much discussion about maybe tweaking it. Uh, I think people are still pretty, you know, they want to wait at least two or three years uh, uh, sample size before they decide whether or not they need to tweak it. Are we seeing more people wanting to be officials in 2022 compared to the rest of your career? Like, what is the state of officiating, uh, really at all levels, I guess? Yeah. So I'll answer that in two ways. At my level, so this offseason, I had to hire some new officials for the SEC as well as for the Sun Belt and, and the Southern Conference. And at my level, the, the demand, you know, the, the supply for my demand, it still appears to be there. That being said, um, I do keep in touch with what's going on at the high school, at the grassroots level, both youth, youth football and at high school level. They're having issues. Um, there's a lot of states now that are asking their teams to play, uh, to schedule at least one of their, their contests on uh, something other than Friday night because that's the only way they're going to have enough officials to go around to, to, you know, to, to handle all of their games. Uh, in other sports other than football, um, I've seen instances where contests have been canceled. Not, not, not um, you know, delayed or rescheduled, but, but canceled because of a lack of officials. So it is a very real problem. It's not manifesting itself on, on the officiating that goes on in the Southeast Conference football at this point in time. But um, it, it will eventually have, if, if the trend continues, it will eventually have a trip, trickle up sure. a, a effect. So for people at that grassroots level that could be in our listening audience that are like, hey, I'm looking for uh, something to do potentially on Friday nights. They're sitting on the fence, John. They don't know whether or not they want to do this. What's the sales pitch? Why get into something like officiating? I'll say this. You know, there's the obvious things. It gives you a chance to stay close to the game. And when I, when I say close to the game, really, really close to the game. So if you're an ex-player and you're missing it. Uh, you decided not to go into coaching. Um, it is a terrific way to stay close to the game. You make some money, right? Yeah. It's also a great so- social club. Um, you know, it's, I, I remember my first three or four years of officiating. I started in San Diego. Uh, I was doing youth in high school for the first three or four years. It, you know, the, the, the social aspect of it was just fabulous. But I'll throw this out that I don't think is obvious to people, and this would be my sales pitch. It's a way to compete. If you're a former athlete, you know, and, and you're a basketball player, maybe you're playing in a men's league or, or, or whatnot, and I get that. You're still competing, but officiating is a way to compete. <clears throat> it's a way to go out, do something, get evaluated for, for a 60-minute game if, it, if it's a college level. A uh, trying to do the math, a 40 or 48-minute game um, at, at the high school level, get feedback, and they get a chance to go out and improve yourself just a week later. 
um, we all compete in our in our jobs, right? Somehow, some way, we compete, but it doesn't. It's it's not a close resemblance to the competition we have as athletes. I have found that officiating is the closest competition to me being an athlete of anything I've done in my post-athletic career. Well, last week, it's interesting. We saw at the NBA Summer League level, Richard Jefferson, who played in the league for so many years, now the broadcast booth officiated for a quarter and after the fact was like, man, that's a whole lot harder than I expected it to be and kind of made a couple of mistakes. You think back on some of the first games that you officiated or tell me the the story for the first time that uh, you were an official in some capacity. I remember my very first game. It was a Pop Warner football game in, in uh, San Diego, California. It was probably uh, second and third graders that were out on the field. <laughs> wow. It was a, a, a three-person crew, um, a referee and two guys on the line of scrimmage. And, um, I, it, you know, it was, it, it was just it was everything I thought it was going to be. Sure. Um, that I, I, for some reason, I, and I think it's because I had some outstanding individuals that were training me and, and acting as mentors, I didn't worry about messing up. Um, one of the pieces of advice I got very early in my career was, don't worry about making a mistake. If you can eliminate making the same mistake twice, you're going to be a good official in four or five years. And I, I took that to heart. And so I just, I, I just, I, I don't know. It, it, it was a natural fit for me. I know, I recognize it's not a natural fit for everyone. But I do ask people, if you hadn't considered that officiating is a way to compete, give that some thought. Because... I really identified with that when I was on the field. I enjoyed competing week in, week in and week out. So SEC Media Days is here, football season right around the corner. For you and your role before football season gets here, like what are the final boxes that you need to check off before we feel good in your position as the coordinator officials to get the season going? Yeah, so JJ, we have our um, preseason uh, officiating clinic. It starts next Thursday in Birmingham. We'll have all our officials in person. And uh, having both, in, um, we'll have a physical fitness test out on the on, on a field on Friday what morning. What does that involve? Uh, it's now a. Uh, there, there's two aspects of it. Um, one is stamina. One is agility. The stamina is a bunch of wind sprints, uh, three sets of, of, of wind sprints. The agility is some cone work. How about that? And then there's a lot of of, of uh, classroom work that is very very video intensive. Thanks for the time today, John. This has been a whole lot of fun. Absolutely. J.J. Ryan, I enjoyed it. That's John McDade, the SEC Coordinator of Officials, joining us. Shed Garden Shop is your one-stop shop for all your outdoor and gardening needs. And now with two convenient locations, it's even easier to get all lawn and garden essentials. Visit them.